you, you exist in this this pecking system of a hierarchy mm -hmm. that you ref that you're going to assert your sense of presence based off of what your relationship may have been with your father, estranged father, or mm -hmm. your whoever, your, your, your stepfather, whatever it may be. You're not going to exert that on me. No. Through the city, through the city, through the city. Girl, I really wanna know, really wanna know if you coming with me, coming with me, with, with me. It's a place I wanna go, place I wanna go. Through the city, through the city, through the city. It's a little spot I know. Do you wanna go? Are you coming with me, with me, with, with me? It's a place I wanna go. I just wanna ride with you. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. We are coming to you live from the French Quarter. <laughs> That's the first. We're coming to you live from the French Quarter in New Orleans. And if this is your first time here, you are now listening to the All the Fly Kids Show, where the cool, calm, and connected talk straight, no chaser. I'm your host, Geronimo Knows, urban culture and lifestyle enthusiast, reformed blogger turned full-time conversationalist. And as always, I got my co-host, super producer Robert J in the building. Hey, 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 it, that felt right. <laughs> <laughs> that, felt that, right. that one felt good. Yeah, that one felt okay. good. Hey, okay, hey, okay. Uh, yes, all right. Wonderful. Okay. Well, well since yeah. that felt good, how are you feeling in general? Today? I am feeling, man. So I just came from Wingstop, right? Really, Wingstop. Wingstop. Okay. But I'm gonna tell you why I went okay. to because I know right. you was gonna say something. Okay. I went because and, and no I and no and no fries. and no dis no dis to the brother. <laughs> You know, <laughs> getting him, getting his money. You know, no, no diss to, to Rick, Rick Ross, no, but you know, <laughs> I, I, man, he got some fire seasoning them fries, man. Like, okay, I like the sugar spicy lemon thing that's going on with it, man. I don't know what it is, but well, actually, that's what it's like: sugar spicy lemony and garlic and shit. That shit's fire to me. I will go and eat the bland, sometimes weirdly seasoned, weirdly flavored wings. Just for them fries. Okay. So I'm feeling pretty good. I'm full. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Gucci. You Gucci? Gucci? Okay. All right. If if you're new to this show, you you know that um we often talk about chicken. Um, even though it's a new chicken spot too. I thought. Okay, all right, so new chicken spot that we will <laughs> add to the list. One day we are going to do this chicken tour. I have decided to just, you know, bite the bullet. Even though chicken is the devil, I have decided to bite the bullet and and, and go on this tour. But Robert likes uh, flavored wings. I prefer naked wings, um, like naked deep fried wings. Just give it to me straight like that. Give me the sauce. I don't need all that no, shit. I don't even need, don't even need the lemon pepper, all that other wild <laughs> shit. But I'll, I'll eat them for the purposes of our wing, our chicken thing that we're going to do. Anyway, tell me where they can find us. All right, so look, if you want to get in tune with the podcast and actually hear what we're talking about, you can get in touch with us or listen, consume whatever words you want to say right there. SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean. Uh, no, we're not on Podbean. I don't know why I'm going just tell them everywhere. <laughs> But that's the point. Like, it's everywhere. Like, that's what I'm kind of getting at. That's what I'm getting at. If you want to be, like, eccentric and find those little nooks and crannies, we there, too. Okay. As far as listening, if you want to actually talk to us and see what we be talking about, then um, when it ain't on the podcast, then you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter. I know for Geronimo, you can find him at Geronimo Knows. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's Instagram and Twitter. Geronimo Twitter is very interesting. We have some conversations about his Twitter and I feel like I need to like just like 
follow everybody he follows because it's very it's very bipolar yeah i'm kind (laughs) of cool with that like i mean this is very interesting like Like, my twitter page is not it's two different extremes of black twitter that i follow and it's it's, it gets it gets wild to me it gets wild on my timeline my 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 timeline is not it is filth and music production that's like it. oh you you follow porn Twitter yes all of that so I, I got hip to porn Twitter my boy put me on the porn Twitter it, it, I didn't realize porn Twitter man, was was, was jumping the way that they it. go in <laughs> they go in on porn Twitter man I be looking like I ain't never seen this clip before. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to follow Geronimo and Black Twitter Geronimo knows if you want to follow me in porn Twitter and music production and all the other things that I'm interested in. Then it's Robert J A Y underscore B B as in Bay Bay or as Geronimo exposed me of B B actually meaning building. You make, you make it sound blocks. like I put, like I, like I just I forced you. I put you a gun in your head. Me, but I kind of felt obligated. I felt socially and morally obligated to tell you because it's a, it's what a, it, it, it means something very strong, it very does. very good. You it know, does. I, I it's only people Bay to know Bay about if they nasty. Okay, like Janet. Like girl Janet I love Jackson. Janet, <laughs> <laughs> like your girl Janet. All I right. Love my girl Janet. Um, well, just make sure y'all rate, comment, and subscribe whenever podcast app you listen to the podcast on. Um, also, we are accepting comments, questions, feedback. Get at us on um, the All the Fly Kids Instagram or Twitter yes, yes. Um, via DM and a comment. All the Fly Kids, wherever Facebook, All the Fly Kids, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, let us know what you think. We'll. Um, Go over those questions and comments and things. We'll uh, talk about them on the show, what have you. Um, we are not live today on IG. Um, I was just rushing and I done forgot tripods and all types of shit. But <laughs> you know what? <laughs> this would be a good episode to do it live too, man. Well, yeah. Then I didn't even. It's it's fine. It's fine. Can we can we make shift, man? We come on, man. I, I mean, I wish your I wish your microphone was working. I wish it was working. <laughs> so we could definitely do it on your phone. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, maybe we'll, we'll we'll do something later on in the show. Who knows? Anyway. Um, Nonetheless, if you know me personally or have listened to the show for a while, you know fashion is my favorite element of lifestyle, uh, followed by wines and spirits. And whenever the opportunity to have a conversation with someone seasoned in the fashion industry arises, I jump on it because it's a true learning experience for everyone listening. The business of fashion is as complex and sometimes as cutthroat as that of other industries. However, what fashion contributes to culture and how it complements other art forms makes any any of the challenges seem less daunting. And if you're truly passionate and, and talented, that is. So today's guest, he's both. He also happens to own one of the best apparel stores, in my opinion, in the Big Easy. Regarding Fresh, or Refresh for short, it's a premier lifestyle boutique located in the French Quarter, which is why we are here, because we are inside of Regarding Fresh tonight, um, and selling mid-range and high-end men's and women's apparel, and the first of its kind in New Orleans. So the first time I walked in, I knew some of my fashion forward out of town people had to be hip, and our mutual following on Instagram and what have you showed me that. Um, but we're going to get into all of that, along with the fashion industry and the role black designers and entrepreneurs play in it today. So um, now that we've gotten that out of the way, I want y'all to welcome Sean Forbes to the All the Fly Kids show. Clap it up for yourself. <laughs> what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? Hello, hello, world. Hello. How, you, how you feeling today, brother? I'm good, man. I'm word, good, man. Word, word, Just getting word. back in town. Uh, just re- refocusing some things. Uh, happy to be here. Okay. Um, just, you know, just life is good, man. I can't complain. Man. Okay. Where, where, where are your travels bring you back from? Uh, I was in L.A. for a week. Before there, I was in New York. And before there, I was in San Fran. And a little bit everywhere, man. I'm, I'm moving. It's kind of okay. like a constant. 
just okay. uh, it's a good thing. I, I feel natural in uh, my forward progression. Yes, so yes, it absolutely. It definitely feels good, uh, you know, every time I get out and move around. I, it's kind of my, I don't want to say my new normal, but I've been traveling like this since I was 18, 19. So okay. I'm like 20-something years in, so okay. it's, uh, yeah. you know. Still staying the course. Okay. All right. <laughs> and I know you're originally from Brooklyn, correct? Yeah. All right. Bed Star. Um, is this the first place outside of New York that you've ever lived? No, nah, I lived in Florida. Uh, spent most of my youth raised, you can say, pretty much in Florida. Okay. Uh, Florida, Atlanta, New Orleans. Um, yeah, man, I've been living everywhere. I mean, but sustainably living, I would say Florida, Atlanta, and New Orleans okay. in, in New York. So, uh, yeah. If you had to give a quick ranking, one, two, three, four. I mean, New York is home. I mean, it's just, just, just I wouldn't exist um, in so many words if uh, New York wasn't what it was, mm -hmm. or is, should I say. Um, so New York is always going to be number one for me. Uh, in New Orleans, uh, it would probably be my number two, if not one into, mm -hmm. um, you know, because it, it kind of represents a different phase. Um, I became a man in New Orleans, so mm -hmm. it kind of resonates with me a little different. Um, and even with me not being a local, it resonates with me a little more than most people. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, New Orleans and New York, is there's some symbolism between New Orleans and Brooklyn, um, community-based, culturally. Um, it's, not a, it's not the same, but there's some symbolism there. Like, yeah. Even when I moved to New Orleans uh, in 92, uh, I think at the time it was the murder capital. Mm -hmm. And for me, it felt so natural or normal. Um, because the one thing that uh, kind of resonates, if anybody's lived in any hood or seen any type of uh, you know, street violence or anything, is a certain type of energy that you feel. And either you learn to accept it and know what that is, yeah. or you just are challenging something that's inevitable. Mm -hmm. And coming to New Orleans, I knew exactly what that felt like, and it made me feel comfortable. Um, and that afforded me to be in, I had dreads in 92, and I was in New Orleans, you can imagine back then I was an alien. Yeah, um, yeah, wasn't nobody rocking that. And, and, and for me being <laughs> yeah, so yeah. adventurous and traveling as a, as, a, as, a, as a young boy, moving from New York to Florida, and Florida to here, and, I wanted to see it all. You know, I was at that age where discovery was what it was about. Mm -hmm. 16, 17. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm in the hood. You know, I'm by myself, solo. Um, just really just kind of acclimating to the world of... Uh, acclimating to the world of... Uh, acclimating to the world and really trying to effectively trying to identify what makes sense to me. So, you know, I had to touch any and everything. The, from the dope boys to the, to the killers to the eclectic set and you know all all things considered um you know I, I had the respect and 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 uh support of all mm -hmm. you know what i mean uh, and i what's the what's the saying real recognize real yeah you know what i mean so it was just one of those situations to where i i've always felt comfortable here just as well as i felt comfortable in brooklyn and you know to this day i still have relationships with people um that i've known since i was 18 19 and you know i'm kind of a chameleon um, you see me when you see me or I blend in where I blend in and you know a lot of the young kids see me and they don't know how I know some of these OGs like, 
You know, how you know him? I think he just got here or something. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's new to them. But when, when I left New Orleans in 98, uh, when I went to work in the music industry, uh, you know, the city changed. Like, I came back kind of inadvertently uh, just on tours and stuff like that. But I came, I think it was Essence of 2004. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was probably the last real prolific Essence festival. It was definitely a, a good time, good yeah. energy. Um, uh, I saw the transition in the community, and I'm saying specifically our community. It went from uh, Dookie braid extensions for the guys to dreadlocks. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was like, well, when did y'all start wearing dreads? Like, I was fascinated by this because I remember a very vivid story. I had uh, it was a girl from the projects, and she had stopped me. This was, I was about 17 or 18, mm-hmm. and she was like, yo, you look cute. And I was like, okay, thank you. I appreciate that. But she said, I couldn't date you with them things in your head. <laughs> I said, okay, that's interesting. So I said, would you date Mystical? Because at this point in time, Mystical had literally dookie extension braids. I, mm. I remember. I yeah. remember. But, so I, but 2004 was the time, too, when um, when Wayne started locking his head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he made that switch for cornrow. I remember when that happened, I was like, oh, that's what they, I mean, that was my only reference point for whatever was going on in terms of like street fashion, yeah. street style in New Orleans. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's, that, that's, that's interesting. You know, yeah. even think about what you said earlier about being here reminded you of some, th- some a little bit of, of Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, um, being in, in the hoods and whatnot and, and, and what have you. I have to say the same for myself. Um, I felt like I fit right in when I first went to a second line or I first went to Super Sunday because it reminded me of something that may soon be returning to D.C. but had been missing from D.C. for so long and that was the outdoor festivals in the different black neighborhoods that would happen every summer you know when people were outside playing go-go music and, 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 and you had vendors and you had people congregating looking forward to this coming out fresh you know like oh I gotta get an outfit for the Unifest gotta go get an outfit for George Avenue Day boom 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 all these different things and so when I saw that even though you know I'm hearing mostly bounce music and I'm not from New Orleans and the accents are different and things like that um, it's the same energy it's the same coming together of like you know, provincial black culture of a city that mm-hmm. people don't want to lose, don't want to hold on to, and any opportunity they get to, to put that on display and big that up for themselves, they do it, mm-hmm. you know? So I definitely can relate with you there when you talk about just, you know, knowing that energy and knowing how to just, how to move and just feeling comfortable. Yeah. 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 Regardless of where you are. I mean, because this is, that's, and I think that's like a real primal thing, right? So mm-hmm. say for we was in the jungles of Africa, and maybe it was animals. You had to know what that was. Because mm-hmm. survival is survival. And, you know, a, a, a killer can smell it on you just as well as an animal can. You Absolutely. Know? Yes. And, uh, so you if you don't get comfortable, it. man, you, yeah. you can be very uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? so, yeah man. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and New Orleans is, you know, still can uh, turn up a little bit. Definitely. Not not like it used to. I I, I definitely I can say that I have uh, I arrived here at a time when it's a much calmer, more peaceful place. Yeah. Um. But I I do know that some shit still goes down. Yeah. Definitely. You know. <laughs> hey, there's still reminiscences of it, but you know, I I, I like kind of making reference to what I was saying when I came back. When I, I'm seeing the young men with dreads, it, 
as marginal as that, that may seem to from a fashion statement or just a, a viewpoint from, say, somebody that doesn't necessarily understand the culture, that's a progression of self-worth or identifying with the fact that, hey, I can have this hairstyle mm-hmm. and still be in my community. Mm-hmm. Where before then, it was like, well, I have to acquiesce into this perception or who I'm supposed to be when I'm walking through the French Quarter or when I'm uptown or, you know, wherever it is where you, they felt like they had to kind of fit in. Um, what are my peers doing? How can I fit in with them? Exactly. How can I make this work? How can I not be targeted? That exactly. So for me, seeing that coming back to New Orleans, it was like, wow, that's refreshing. You know what I mean? No pun intended, but uh, <laughs> definitely uh, it, it was a conscious shift. Like yeah. something happened that allowed them to just say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to be that. Right. So you coming in with a completely different perspective, coming from a different region of the country. Um, I'm going to ask this question another time later on in the, in the show, too. Mm-hmm. But at this point in time, when you return back to New Orleans, you know, um, how had you how had you been influenced by the culture of New Orleans, you know, in any way, shape or form? Moving back to New Orleans? Like at this point. At this point, what was it like? You said you moved back in what? Oh, seven. You moved back two thousand seven. Yeah, like so end of so it was, it was like uh, November. No, I came back for Essence in, in two thousand and fourteen. Okay. At that time, I was living in Atlanta. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. So, um, so let's backtrack. So, you first came. You first started coming to New Orleans when? I moved to New Orleans in ninety two. Ninety two. Lived in New Orleans from ninety two up until about ninety eight, ninety nine ish. All right. Went right back to New York. Lean cash money here. Yeah. Well, it was bright as that was emerging. That's start, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and, and and but no limit was um, already well, yeah. was already doing yeah. it. At that point in time, no limit was definitely yeah. top of the food chain. So at it. that time, how did the city influence you? Huh. I wouldn't say that the city influenced me, I guess being from the East Coast and seeing at the point when New Orleans didn't have a real, its own identity in the sense of uh, youth culture. Okay. So when I was in New Orleans as a 8, 17, 18, 19 year old young man, uh, it was either you had the guys that was straight East Coast hip hop or you had the guys that were straight West Coast. Mm-hmm. So it was like a divide. You know what I mean? So either you was on Nas and Reasonable Doubt or you was on, uh, you know, NWA or whatever that was. And you, then you had the guys that kind of... Bounce always had his own little space. Okay. That's always just been... And that even within itself, just because that, that's like a whole different scope because mm-hmm. they had people that just lived for Bounce. Yeah. Like they didn't listen to anything else. It was just truly... And I'm pretty sure they may have that in D.C. with the... Uh, with Go-Go. With yeah, Go-Go. A, yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's that same that sense of... Uh, and they went to specific clubs mm-hmm. and they hung out and they did different things and they, you know, they had nuances within their you know, uh, network that, that kind of catered to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting for me being a young man and I remember my, my 11th grade year... Uh, kind of like a real pivotal moment pivotal moment in my life where uh, Illmatic was consistently in my uh, I'm, I'm dating myself in my uh, Walkman that was, that was a good time I, had, I bought Illmatic that's, that's the minute I heard the first time I heard now I was like so, I'm a fan Boom. so, so <laughs> I, I guess at that point in time the influence was really more about the culture collectively mm-hmm. because I looked at it like I'm in the, I'm in in the center of it all right mm-hmm. I'm in uh, in New Orleans, and in the Deep South, 
I have a East Coast perspective. Uh, I've lived in the South for some years, and I kind of view the world as an objective point of view. Like, what can I, what can I pull from each of these nuances? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because even growing up, my father wasn't necessarily a part of my life in that regard. And you know, when I grew up, this was a crack era. So if you had five ten dollars, I mean, you could be a crack dealer. And, a day, you yes. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it was just that easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you had to make a lot of decisions because it was easy to do a lot of things that were negative. Yeah. And in the same context, this is kind of like an oxymoron, but in probably one of the most violent eras in our culture in modern day times, it probably was some of the most funnest times. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I agree. Uh, I hear that often. I, 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 I 100% agree. When with you really it. think about it too, that whole idea of survival at adrenaline, like yeah. now we don't have to, like, I don't want to say we don't have to survive yeah. for nothing, but it's different now. It's different. Then yeah. it was a lot more, and I'm not an 80s baby, I'm not an 80s kid, but I have brothers, I have a mother, and a lot of that energy, they raised me and my brother and my sister with it as well. Yeah. Um, but with that said, it was a lot more primal. Like, it wasn't as much information accessible for you to go out and just kind of figure it out. Like, you had to literally, like, here's a rock, here's a stick, figure out how to make a fire. Yeah, I mean, but within that, it was real definitive as well. Mm. So, you had to make a definitive choice. Mm-hmm. I Am I going to go out here and be a drug dealer? Or am I going to play sports? Or if I'm gonna get, am I going to get into academics? You know, like, you really had to make it this, you know, those movies that kind of depicted that era, Menace to Society, Boys in the Hood, were very real and rooted. Even though it was West Coast driven, it's related to any hood. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was probably more of what drove me um, at that time, was looking at all of these different hoods and neighborhoods. Because as a kid, I can, I can remember far back as like seven or eight, I was fascinated with religion. I didn't understand quite why there was such a divide when religion, just the word, is definitively, we're not going to talk about any specific denomination of religion, but it represented something that was supposed to help you become Discipline. better. Yeah. Right? It's, it's about community, it's about self-awareness or defining what it is that makes us better people. But on the flip side, it also caused wars and divide. And so I was fascinated with religion at a very young age, and I... You know, you start to hear the stories. You, you start to hear the stories, and you start to hear all the things. That all right? That sounds like the same story. Like, so what's where's the conflict? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and once I realized that, like about nine, ten years old, I was like, oh, this is this this is not real, yeah. right? For me, it wasn't real. No disrespect to anybody in your religious beliefs. I feel like uh, religion has a has a place. Um, in anyone's life that feels like it can help them and benefit them moving forward. Um, but for me, in my perspective, I wanted to understand why, um, for those who have conflict with other religions, why that was so. Um, so, you know, that's the side note. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't, don't want to sound like I'm bashing on religion because I, I feel like, uh, you know, culturally in the black community, the, the religion was what allowed us to kind of get past slavery. Okay. You know, when the slaves were able to feel like they were free on Sundays, um, that was their liberation. That was their moment of uh, decency and humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in the black community, that was a pillar of, 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 uh, of hope and, pros- and prosperity uh, was to have the faith and belief that you can get past any situation. So for that, 
I thank religion, but for all the things that religion has caused um, destructively, you know, I I, I, I I can't stand for it. You know what I mean? So. Um, Shout out Congo Square on Sundays. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, I mean, that's where that's where the, uh, the 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 slaves of New Orleans would be able to congregate and turn up. You yeah. know play music, um, dance, sell their wares, things like that. You yeah. know, I mean, that would be the one day of the week that the, 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 the slave owners would allow for that. Yeah. You know, for, for slaves to congregate. And so to this day, over in Congo Square, you know, they have drum circles and things in honor of that yeah. um, that take place. But circling back to your original question, I mean, the influence would be more about uh, understanding that energy we were talking about earlier. Okay. And respecting the fact that we live in a world that as vast and wide as we may think it is, it's really just a microcosm. Like, mm. it's every area and every hood. Like, I've, I've traveled quite a bit, so you start to gravitate towards areas that resonate with you at different times. So as a youth, you may re resonate with that more vibrant, wild. Um, but as you get older and you start to uh, become a little bit more versed in who you are, which we were talking about briefly earlier, that vibration changes. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I think that was probably the most prolific perspective that I can have being in New Orleans, that okay. I, I understand what this is. And that allowed me to think, well, the world is my oyster because I can move anywhere at this point in time because I know what that feels like. Um, and I know how to move in that. Most people can't, don't, can't reference it, don't understand it. Or right. It doesn't resonate with them at all. Like, it just... You know, odd man out or whatever. So. And so you say you moved around '98, yeah. right? You moved out of New Orleans. You come back, came back from Essence in 2004. Moved back officially in 2007. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, when you came back, I know you said that you were also in the music industry. Yeah. Um, when you came back, were you done with the music industry? Or yeah, I, I left the music industry about '02 or '03. Okay, so you was already um, done. I was young enough at the time to recognize the transition in the industry. And at the same time, I went into it uh, with this very, I guess, young man perspective. Like, I'm going to change the world. And, you know, my passion for music kind of helped me uh, get through a lot of circumstances in my life. Like I said, when I was a, you know, in junior high, a junior in high school, Illmatic was that, that album yeah. that, that resonated with me. But, you know, moving forward... Um, it was another moment in my life where I was like, wow, you know, the music industry, for what it represents creativity and the opportunity to express yourself, the business of it mm -hmm. was just so fucked up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you had, you had executives that lived for their positions. Mm -hmm. um, and you had artists that just felt like they were just the best thing since sliced bread. And the reality is that it's a business. Right. You know what I mean? And... You know, I also saw the, 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 the misuse or, of our creative perspective. And who, who were you, uh, what were you doing? Right. Uh, so I was the, New York, I was the national director of marketing for Universal Island Def Jam. Um, thereafter, I went to Atlanta and was a VP of marketing at uh, Def Jam South. Mm -hmm. um, so from like 1998, 1999, up until 2003, you know, I toured with uh, anywhere from Cisco, DMX, Redman, Method Man, Jay-Z, uh, 
I mean, anybody that was on the roster for Def Jam at that point in time, uh, I toured with them. Okay. Um, uh, so, you know, that was, as a 20, early 20s guy, I was traveling the world and, um, you know, seeing, re- reasserting my, my, my perspective, like I said, that energy, and it just, it allowed me to stay safe and, and move in a certain way when I was in certain cities because it was just like, oh, I get it, you know what I mean? Um, you know, and thanks to that, man, I, I enjoyed every moment of it um, and was able to kind of like get a better perspective on just the people as in, in general as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a beautiful, probably the most educational experience I've had in my life was traveling uh, at that point in time. It wasn't the easiest. It sounds glamorous, but uh, it definitely had its moments. Well, it sounded uh, like it wasn't just traveling either. It was traveling, but also with the energy of understanding survival. Exactly. I mean, it's always, I think... I think people become complacent with the perspective of what survival is, right? We become so accustomed to uh, our GPS or our um, cell phones or whatever it is that makes our lives, quote-unquote, more comfortable. Um, and we don't use our sense, our senses, our sense of perspective, our sense of awareness, our sense of uh, presence. Yeah, we definitely lost and, that. And, you know, we, we get detached from the reality that, like, we're human before we're anything. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. these things are extensions of how we, we've been able to function for thousands of years. And yeah, it's cool. It's cool to be able to pick up the phone and have a conversation and jump on a plane and not have to, you know, horseback ride or, or use our feet to travel across the country. Um, but the journey is also just as, as potent and powerful as getting there, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and we're so focused on getting there that we don't even really enjoy the ride. Trust the process. You know I mean? So, um, and I think... That's a disadvantage to a lot of these kids growing up in this uh, social media, um, I guess, era. era. You know, it's uh, it's a gift and a curse. You know, um, as connected as you feel you are, how really connected are you? Because like we're sitting here, people are hearing us through the waves, but we we're experiencing a better, more enriching experience than probably say the listener. Uh, no disrespect to you guys out there, but I wish everybody could be in here with us. Well, I, I would like to think that that, uh, that all of our listeners, you know, were, were going outside at, at some point and actually interacting with people in real life, yeah. and not just. Right. I would like to think that. Yeah. I don't know all the listeners, but I like to think that. You the know, ones that I've met, they do. Okay, yeah. they do. They, right. they go out, they get in the festivals, they do stuff. Okay, um, they know how to have a conversation with somebody in real life. But that's only They're because in the we're eye. doing a lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Now, if this was music, bro, he lost. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They in the studio, in the house, in the basement, and wherever they at, they're disconnected. But yeah. because we're doing lifestyle, they good. They out there, yeah, they yeah. outside living. Uh, living life. Living. Good. That's 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 what I want to hear. Yeah. So you came back um, 2007. Were you already working in fashion at, at this point? <laughs> that's a funny thing. Because I... Because before I came back to New Orleans, I was kind of in limbo. I had an opportunity to go work at Nike in their entertainment marketing department. And, um, you know, I kind of went through these transitions where I was just wholeheartedly just focusing on starting my, uh, moving forward with my marketing advertising agency. And, you know, there was a moment there where I kind of reached out to these uh 
to these institutions that are supposed to support us in the community, uh, 100 Black Men, I think the NAACP, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, earnestly have found some uh, information on contacting some of their key directors, sent out some emails, hey, uh, I'm a young man, uh, trying to move forward, progress my business, um, these are the services I can provide. You know, if you aren't able to assist me, maybe somebody in your staff could kind of get back with me and potentials of me working. And, you know, I didn't get a response. And uh, it was a little disheartening. Uh, but me being who I am, all right, cool, let's kind of move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in that moment, I also thought about the fact that, gosh, what if, what if there was a young man that didn't necessarily have a sense of self, right? And was passionate and driven to pursue what he felt was right and was denied. Like, what, what would be that, would that have been a tipping point for him to just digress back into, or go, go in a way that he necessarily didn't want to go? Mm-hmm. Um, Many times, you know it is. Yeah, you know what I mean? So for me, it, it, it was a, another moment, and I have a lot, we all had these moments where it was just like, wow, this is amazing. I, you know, I, I grew up thinking all of these institutions for, for us, uh, to help us, and, uh, you know, it, it, it became another reality of uh, self-containment or self-awareness and how am I going to get past this moment and move my life forward. So I was, you know, I was a little taken aback at that moment in time. I didn't want to go work at Nike because I, I didn't want to get into that corporate structure because I felt like that was easy, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, I can go to Nike and I'll probably still be working there at this point in time. Job is cushy. You're just giving sneakers to entertainers and, you know, you're just rubbing elbows. Um, that's not what I wanted. Um, so I was contemplating moving to Japan, California. Um, and the conversation with the store actually came up initially in 2003 when I left the music industry. Life happened, Katrina happened, um, which was in 05. Um, and it kind of just was just an endorment. Mm-hmm. And at the end of 2007, the conversation came back up. I came here in November. The store opened in February. February 2008? 2008. Okay. Um, and the reason, you know, it was, it was a very energetic time for New Orleans. This was the rebirth of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, people were trying to come back to New Orleans and kind of reignite what, was, what, what it was. Um, and it was a perfect intersect to introduce something that had never been here before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and with my relationships in the entertainment industry, that happened to be All-Star Weekend. So I was able to garner uh, the support and um, you know, notoriety from some celebrities that were able to kind of come by the store and uh, you know, I guess kind of like facilitate the fact that, hey, this is something new, different. And for the city, it was necessary because it was all about the youth at that time. Uh, I mean, the store was based around, all right, let's, enter, let's give the youth what they need and let's also inspire them with what they don't have. Okay. Um, and that was the approach, because uh, we were more streetwear based, sneakers. This at was like, time. at that time, yeah. it was just the, the emergence of, uh, or the explosion of sneaker culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I wouldn't necessarily say I was a sneakerhead, but I- Was you a Nike talk? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm, 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 I've never been like, I've never been a part of the- You was on Nike talk? I, I was in the SBs. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah I like the SBs. Anything SB and Jordan up until that point, I think it stopped at like 19, maybe 20 or something like that. I was in all of that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, but yeah, man, I, that, 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 that was the beginning 
um, of a new chapter. You know, and if you were to ask me in 2000, even in 2006, what I would have been doing in 2007 or I, I couldn't, I wouldn't have told you I would have been doing this. Mm -hmm. um, but it all worked out. You know, and the irony in the situation, and like, I think in the past two years, no, let's say three years, uh, my mother went to the Fashion Institute of Design in New York. So I grew up in a household that my mother's a seamstress by trade. Mm -hmm. um, but it never really resonated with me that that, that affected me or it was a part of me. But I grew up on the fabric stores and making patterns for clothes. And, you know, uh, God, my mother made me my prom tuxedo. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. um, but that appreciation didn't really come into full, full focus, literally until like three years ago uh, when I kind of morphed the store into this new transitional phase. But yeah, I mean, that, that's, that, that, that's the lineage of uh, my reintroduction to the city of New Orleans. And uh, what, was, what, was, what was the streets looking like in terms of style by that point when you got back to New Orleans? Um, and I ask this question a lot because I'm always looking, even to this point, to this day, I'm just like, what's, what defines New Orleans, you know, street aesthetic, you know? I mean... So at that time, what was the street aesthetic, you know what I mean? The, the, the culture at the time then was really just... Skate culture was proliferating at, in New Orleans. And I think it was the one thing that the youth could do mm -hmm. constructively and not get into trouble. Okay. Um... Because you know that was like you would see all these kids skating up and down the street and 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 in droves, you know what I mean? Because it was the one thing that they could do, to occupy their time and mind, and you know it was that community was was very strong at that time. So uh, and it was necessary. They felt they felt like they was connected to something that was better than what was going on before Katrina, mm -hmm. um, and it was really a unif unified effort. White kids, black kids, Spanish kids, you know what I'm saying? They were just all out there just skateboarding. Yeah. Um, and even in the French Quarter, like, to see kids coming to the French Quarter, that was like another thing. You know, it was like adults and, you know, people that wanted to drink and, you know, participate in what New Orleans is known for, mm -hmm. Bourbon Street. But these kids started consuming the French Quarter and, uh, you know, staying, trying to stay out of harm's way. You right. know what I mean? Um, which was very interesting. Um, and it caught all measured up at the same time because a lot of the kids had moved uh, for Katrina. And so 07, they were kind of, some, some of the families were moving back, so they had a different perspective. So it was just like, oh, okay, I don't, I don't want to do that. I just want to just be a kid, you know what I mean? Um, and that's kind of just what they did. They just, they just skated, man. Yeah. It, was, it was interesting. Technical difficulty, but we're right back. <laughs> so we talked about just the style aesthetic and um of New Orleans at the time in 2007, and um you know also where you were at the time when you first opened the store, February 2008 is when the store opened up. Mm -hmm. Okay, um in the time in the 10 plus years that you've been open, um 11 years. Yeah, in our 11th year. Yeah, 11 yeah. years that you've been open. Um, I know when we talked when we first when we first met, you know, we were talking. I asked you, you know, what was the response by the residents in New Orleans and whatnot? Um, I know tourists, you know, they come through. Mm -hmm. People come here looking for refresh because um, 
people are hip outside of New Orleans. But what has just been the general um, response from from residents in New Orleans? I mean, when the store first initially opened, the response was, oh, is this a pop-up? Is this just for All-Star Weekend? Are you guys going to be here? Mm -hmm. And that kind of went on for about two years, people just asking, because they were just so used to things just coming and going, right? Um, And how point Katrina kind of washed away and people came back, right? Mm -hmm. So it was this sense of uh, why would you because... We just had this horrific uh, tragedy that happened in 05, and I would, who would want to come and invest or be a part of the community that it could happen again? So they didn't, that this, they weren't believing in the city and it just the stability of the city at that but, time. But I think that really was systemic, though, from even before Katrina. Okay. Um, it was still this digressed perspective of what could be. That's so interesting, because... Um, yeah, New Orleans natives are some of the most prideful people I've ever met when it yes. comes to having pride for their city, for their town. Yes. Yeah, you know? with, with, with familiar, like if it's something that they're familiar with, mm-hmm. Crawford's Ball, Super Sunday, yeah. uh, the Lakefront on, on Sunday, you know what I'm saying? Like there's things that they will, the Saints, you know, mm-hmm. things like that, they will resonate with because that's what they identify with. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to progression, and pushing it forward, it's just like, whoa, hold up, man. Like, you about to make things bad. So this is a Southern perspective. So this is post-slavery perspective. Like, hey, no, we, 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 no, that's not, we don't want to do that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's kind of where that, that, that kind of resonates from. Even, you know, we were talking earlier about this, uh, the no limit, the cash money. So at that time in New Orleans, the identity was I'm either West Coast or I'm East Coast. Okay. Nobody, you know, when I was meeting guys I had my age, they were from, they were like, oh, they wasn't saying they were from Uptown. Or they was like, man, I'm from, I'm from Long Island. Or, I'm like, what? Okay. <laughs> you know, they were, they were naming places. I'm like, all right, yes. Yeah, I don't know too many that claim, you know what I mean, that spot, but okay, all right. But... This Where was, Long Island you from? Yeah, you, you know, you start to ask the question. <laughs> you know, or you, or you had, they may have one dude that moved from Buffalo. Okay. And they always like, oh, we New York. You know what I mean? It's just like. It's like Buffalo is very different. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it was that sense of attachment. Yeah. Um, or that sense of being a part of something that was moving. Mm-hmm. And when uh, No Limit kind of made its way, that's when New Orleans youth were like, oh, wow, man, we really can. You know, it was that sense of, whoa. So I used to work at a record store called Sam Goodies. I remember um, Sam Goodies. Yeah, Sam Goodies. I used to work at a record store, Sam Goodies. And this is at the time when CDs were in full swing. And um, artists, I don't know, a lot, a lot of people even familiar with this. They used to go, I guess this would be equivalent to like the SoundCloud or whatever these platforms where you can stream your music and get paid off of it. You would physically go to a record store, talk to the store manager, and say, "Hey, man, I want to sell my CD in your store on consignment. consignment yeah. Let me just sit on the shelf, you know, sit on your shelf, mm-hmm. and you know." So it was uh, that era. Yeah. Um, so at the time when No Limit was really at the top of the food chain when it came to music, and people in New Orleans really starting to identify, "Hey, we have a voice." So this would be kind of reminiscent of. Uh, 
Andre 3000, when he got on stage at the Source Awards, and he made that very profound like, statement. South got something to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That was a moment for Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You know, people say the South, but that was Atlanta's moment. Yeah. That shifted that whole city. Because Rap A Lot was already was doing yeah. this thing already. You had Miami and bass music and Two yeah. Live Crew Loop. They were already doing yeah. their thing. So yeah, you're right. It was, that, was, it was, that was a moment for Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying. And No Limit was the moment for New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And you know, at the time, you know, they would if a No Limit every was every Tuesday we had drop music dropped every Tuesday. So if it was a No Limit drop, everybody in the city was gonna go buy it. Yeah. Mm. You know, even if it was the artist he didn't really like, it was like, man, I got it. I mean, that was the same, like, make, I probably the cutoff might have been the DC area because I know myself, my best friend, we hit the, we hit the Sam Goodies or the, 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 the Waxy Maxies or whatever, yeah. whatever. So at the time it was with Willie's CDs, records and tapes. We hit that store every week mm-hmm. for the new No Limit. It yeah. didn't matter. Like you said, whether we liked it, we already heard we, it. Like, oh, we got to yeah. get, we got to get the Skullduggery. Yeah. We got to get, yeah. <laughs> we got to get the Mia X. Yeah. We got to get the Young Bleed. We got to get, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, not just the major, the major names of No Limit, yeah. and I know mm-hmm. No Limit opened that door for New Orleans culture that most people had never seen or heard before. Exactly. Um, but with the exception of I'm about it, when they when 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 Master P came out with that movie, yeah, they really weren't showing New Orleans culture. They gave you like you heard the lingo and you heard the neighborhoods and things like that, but like. But this is where that sense of identity. Yeah. So we're going back to when they didn't have dreads to when I came back and they had dreads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they were still trying to say, hey, I'm cool enough to be an artist, but I don't want you to see my hood because I want my hood to match the West Coast. But they say that's how Cash Money came in and knocked No Limit out so, the water. So, 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 speaking, like, we gonna show you so, so speaking on that, <laughs> right. so this is when... At the Sam Goody I worked at, it was right there at the Superdome. It was called the New Orleans Center. Mm. Baby, all they would come in there. And at that point in time, the, the streets of New Orleans was riding with cash money. Right. Mm. You know what I mean? So, No Limit was the face of the city, but cash money was the face of the hood. Mm-hmm. And this was, like you said, what, 98, 97, no, 99? So, this, this would be more like 90... 96, 97, 98. Okay, okay. I say that. I say that because I'm I'm from Dayton, Ohio, right? Yeah. So my big brothers, they was like, no limit everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard a lot of the music, but I didn't understand really what it was. But I didn't really see New Orleans until Cash Money. Yeah. No, but like- I understood. No, no, no. I didn't understand. I just I just knew New Orleans had no limit. But yeah. I didn't understand it until Bling Bling came out and then the Hot Boys and all of that. And then you start seeing them running through the neighborhoods. And I'm like, what is what is this? Yeah. Is that a graveyard yeah. or something? What is this? Because again, the only, the only imagery that, of true New Orleans that you saw from No Limit was the I'm About It movie. And not that, that, if you didn't see that, you wouldn't have saw it. I didn't see that. You know all I, mean? I saw was the basketball court when they did make them say uh so but you but even going back to like what I would say would be a real I guess an artist that New Orleans got behind it they really felt like let's say like like really right before No Limit my my dates may be off a little bit was Mystical Mm -hmm. now Mystical was probably the most realistic artist in the city that the city was like alright this the one 
Mm-hmm. Like, they got behind. You know what I'm saying? He was the one. And then that all kind of merged into the, the actual labels. So the No Limit, and I think Mystical wind up signing with No Limit. If yeah, he absolutely did. Yeah. Um, but before then, you know, it was... Album, I don't, yeah, I don't think he was with No Limit, his first album. No, no he was not. Guys got uh, with a, um, Y'all Don't Hear Me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know Mystical before No Limit. So before, be, before No Limit, Mystical was New Orleans rap. Yeah. Like that was, he was the guy. You know what I'm saying? Everybody else was trying Mystical like was doing. Look up Mystical, mean? y'all don't hear me though. Yeah, he, that was probably one of the first. Yeah, look that up. And, and I'm and I'm pretty sure it probably go way back, but I'm saying in the, in the modern era, like late '90s, mm-hmm. early 2000s. I mean, late '90s for sure. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Mystical was that guy. Because mm-hmm. uh, at that point in time, I think I was in high school, and he was he was doing his thing. No limit and cash money kind was like I was in college. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, to give you some perspective on that time frame, but um, yeah, I mean, so, so, it, so it, the, the it residents was, at that time they were just kind of like discovering not, what it was to be something, okay, to be respected. But when you open, you you got that pushback from them, like ah, oh, but I knew, but I knew what that was. You know what I mean? I yeah. knew, I knew what it was before they was kind of identifying, and for everything that everything they felt like they couldn't do. The no limits and the cash money prove that you could do it. Mm-hmm. So it's, and culture is always about who's pushing it forward and indirectly inspiring the people that they may not necessarily be in, feel like they're being uh, affected by it. Mm-hmm. So, on all levels, so uh, whether it's the rich kid or, or the poor kid, you know, it's all being influenced by real culture. When I say real culture, the things that people that make uh, a community a community. And, you know, I, I read a very interesting post. I don't remember if it was on Twitter. And it was uh, talking to the fact that culture, you know, they was like people are moving into these all culturally rich neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. But culture is the people. So when the people go, the culture goes. <laughs> you know right. I mean? I mean, you got who's creating the culture. It takes a person to create the culture. Exactly. You know what I mean? Uh, so for New Orleans, in, in that perspective, it, it, it was me understanding that. And understanding what's possible, and then going against what, um, what I knew the resistance was going to be. And I'm not saying resistance in a negative way. I'm saying resistance in the fact that unfamiliarity. Yeah, it's like I, I, yeah. I don't get. How do you think that's gonna? How do you think this is gonna work? So when did you see a shift in the in, in the thinking where people were starting to be more receptive and open? You know, you got people coming in and wanting to, you know shop or talk with you or you know people want to work here whatever the case may be when they saw that the roots were in the ground mm-hmm. when they felt like all right this is here you know what i mean um and there's some things happening here at this space that i'm not seeing nowhere else in the city mm-hmm. you know what i mean um and they're catering to the youth like they're touching the, the kids you know at one point in time, you, you, you probably see on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, it could be 15, 20 people, you know, just kind of out and about. And literally, we will pull up, pop some bottles of Moe, you know what I mean? We'll, we'll, we'll make it more of an engaging environment mm-hmm. um, to where, no, you want to be different and unique? You could be that here. Nobody's going to judge you for that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You want to, you know, it's not, it's not, it wasn't even about shopping, it was about community, yeah. it was about connectivity. So the same way the kids were skating and, and connecting with each other, 
it also resonates in the fact that, oh, man, we can also not just skate, but we can also communicate at a level that we can engage in talking about fashion, life, culture. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the commu- everything that kind of re- is relevant to our everyday um, that you may not get. I guess it would be the equivalent to what the barbershop used to be. In the community, but that's very that's a very mm-hmm. common thing with like lifestyle boutiques yes. and, and streetwear stores and like there's this community you know sometimes it can be a lo- it could be a little insular, but it's nothing to pull up to any of these types of places and just see people just in the store kicking it, hanging right. out, shooting the shit. You, see you know what I mean? Yeah, yes, right. And I'm gonna say this. I'm going to say, yes, in essence, that was the same, but in perspective, it was always with an agenda of moving the culture forward. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, you know, because a lot of that stuff is superficial, right? Oh, man, come hang out, you know, you shop, whatever. But for us, we was also including, we had a program where we were allowing young local designers to come put their uh, clothing in the store, mm-hmm. you know, just as a sense of, yeah, you can be a part of this. And you can monetize off of your creativity. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about you coming and hanging. Well, how can I help you grow and develop whatever it is you want to do? You want to be a photographer? Cool. All right. Let's work together. So serving is like an incubator. Exactly. Yeah. So whereas this wasn't just about hanging out, that was a part of it. It was also about identifying how we can nurture and cultivate creativity in all facets. Mm-hmm. Or even inspire creativity um, and someone that may be, it may be dormant in. Um, so that's building t- tentacles and, and uh, roots and planting seeds. And, you know, and at the same time, you just don't plant the seed, you got to water it. You, know, you got to expose it to the sun. Um, and you got to pluck the weed, the, the, the bad uh, hedges, you know, whatever you want to call it, the weed, the, uh, what is it? When, you, when you're trimming your yard, the... Uh, Weeds. weeds, pull up the weeds. Yeah, yeah. Pull up yeah. Weeds. So you know, it, yeah. it, 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 trim the ends, the dead leaves. All and the at the same time, and I always say this to the young men, some of these guys have been coming out of the store since they were like ten years old. You know, um, accepting them and even in failure, right? Because that's the cornerstone of growth. It's failing, mm-hmm. and we don't get enough support in our community with saying, "Hey, yeah, you failed, but look." This is what next. This is what you need to learn. Yeah. This is what you need we're, to take from me. Most of these kids yeah. will fail and be like, oh, that's it. Man, Time to try that one more. moment, I was banking on it taking me or propelling me to being a millionaire. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. Fuck this. I'm about to go rob somebody. You know, the young man that was in here earlier, he has a friend he came up with. They both come around here since they were in the high school. Um, one was adopted and his mother was uh, they didn't have the best relationship and these guys ran together um, and at the point I saw the I saw the, the transition where they shift one went into uh, strong arm robberies and you know just clowning and he wanted to be more creative and get into art and, you know what I'm saying fashion and um that other young man is literally sitting on Tulane and OPP and facing life right now. <laughs> and OPP, mm-hmm. yeah. So 
But I, I have the same amount of love for him because I know where he came from. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And his, his homeboys come in and they'll tell me, yeah, man, you know, he's, he's still in there. The trial hasn't been said. So forth and so on. I'm like, well, tell him to keep his head up. Um, and we'll see you when you get out. And it, it may be indirectly, but I want him to know, like, look, I still recognize, you know what I'm saying? You just got caught. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You I went a path and it didn't, it didn't quite work out. And, you know, and, but I, I, I don't look at them any different. They just took, took different paths. Yeah. And that sense of community is also accepting the fact that we're going to have bad things happen. Even, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to excuse any uh, crimes or, or perpetuate the idea that, uh, that crime is good and kids that go that way are, are doing the right thing. I'm just accepting the fact that as men, men of color, we make decisions. Um, and sometimes those decisions aren't the best decisions. Right. But making a decision based upon the information that you have available to exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to embrace you. I think Andre 3000 had a, had a kind of real prolific line in one of his verses. And I can't really speak it verbatim, but it kind of spoke to the fact that you're hustling out there. And who am I to tell you to stop hustling? If that's helping you take care and provide for your family, I got to respect that. I just hope that you figure out a better way from the hustle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And trust the fact that you, you're looking to accomplish something more than what you're doing right now. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, older people, oh, well, you, you out there hustling, you doing all this crazy That's If that's the way you know how to take care of his family, fine. But if you have such a problem with it, let's create programs. Right. Provide, provide another pathway. You know what I'm saying? Let's say, hey, young man, how much money you make in a week? Let me break it all the way down for you. Okay, cool. You making that much? How much money you got right now in your pocket? I said, you got $20,000. He got access to $20,000. Let's go get you a house. You're going to get somebody to rent this house. And how much you making? Okay, cool. Let's try to, let's try to rent this house out, let's say, a quarter of what you're making on the corner. Mm-hmm. You're going to take this house, use it as an asset, leverage that house to buy another house. Now you're going to make another quarter of what you make on the streets. By the time we finish, we're going to teach you how to make... A full whatever you making with that money you hustling, maybe in one month. You know what I mean? So people can talk about not these kids doing what they're doing, but you can't complain if you're not willing to assist them in making it better. So don't talk about what the problem is if you don't really have a solution. We already know what the problem is. The solutions are what we need. Mm-hmm. The answers are what they're looking for. These kids are looking for answers. They don't want you to hear. They don't want, to, want you to tell them about what they ain't doing or what they haven't done. That's obvious. You know what I mean? So let all right, where's the answers? Like we got all this opinion, but no answers. So in the eleven years that you've been open, who of all the people that have come through here, that, you know, had that, you know. The designs in here, you know, anybody, any artists you work, who that's come through here has gone on to do no, big, it, the, the, great the, the, the percentage on that is it's not the best. Um, these are kids basically just coming up with something and, hey, I want to make some T-shirts. Mm-hmm. And it, it may have just been in there discovering what it is they actually really want to do. Um, or in, in even that regard, um, that paved the way for them to see beyond the fact they can do something and monetize their creativity in a way that may not necessarily be fashion. 
Um, it may be photography or it may have been, you know, that's another thing, like, you know, at 18, 19, and 20, you're still trying to identify who you are as an individual. Yeah. So you're going to go through all of these creative spurts and bursts and um, what I think I want to do and, you know, and sometimes touching the feeling, it changes the whole perspective on it. You know, a lot of times the kids will come in, oh, I want to do this. I'm like, all right, cool, let's do it now. You know, most people are like, oh, boy, you're talking crazy. What do you, get out of here with yeah, all that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, all right, that's what you want to do, let's do it. Because I'm willing to accept their failure to prove a point. You know what I'm saying? But hopefully they succeed. But it is all about success because even in their failure, they're succeeding in the idea that, hey, man, I, I did something and somebody allowed me. Mm-hmm. It take, took a chance in me doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it all resonates. And it all, it's all about the next generation. It's all about, to say, at 18 or 19, you're impacting a 10-year-old now. You know what I mean? Um, so in our community, it may not necessarily be about the direct success, but the future success. You know, I think Barack Obama is a perfect example of, you know, I, I know as men of color, we were like, oh, man, he's going to go in there and change it all up. But it's about the progression. I'd rather take an inch to move forward and try to run and get a mile and we set back to the inch. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's, that's a real objective way to think, think, yeah. about, think about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't think that when Barack Obama got it. I didn't think he was going to save the world. I was like, I'm going to see what the brother going to do. But, that, again, that's still an objective way yeah. to, to, to look at that. I'm kind of with you on that. The whole okay. rock thing, the whole taking an a, a inch just to move forward, I'm with you on that, too. Yeah. I think something was interesting that you said, though. Um, a lot of um, leaders, like a lot of teachers, take that approach of, you want to do this? Cool, let's do it right now and just get it out the way so that we can get forward with the lessons. Exactly. And when you give a person that opportunity, they don't really see it like that. They just see it like, shit, you, you gonna let me come in here and paint on your walls? Right now? Yeah, come on. I got painted back and everything. All you gotta do is just show up and just start painting. Yeah, it sounds like you you, you empowered yes. these, these, these young folks with, with agency and license to know that, okay, you actually can do this and I'm gonna give you the space to do it. You know what I mean? And so then also that can lead into ownership, which is something that too few of us know about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it's huge. It's a huge thing to, to, to... I mean, because going back to what I was talking about, about reaching, about reaching out to the NAACP and 100 black men and no response, you know, it just, it just kind of resonated with me a lot more because we look at all these older black men and that are successful. Mm-hmm. And their lack of ability or willingness to transfer that information is disturbing to me. Mm. You can't, what are you doing with it? Like you've already accomplished a level of success. So what is this 18, 19 year old kid gonna do? You're just giving them knowledge. Yeah. What is, what is, why is that hurting you? Why are you, because I, I was that 18, 19 year old kid looking for the answer and never got it. Well, why? Why are you asking all them questions? Because that's what I'm supposed to do. Right. You know what I'm saying? We go to school to get an education because we what? We're learning. <laughs> We're trying to figure out what makes sense. Trying um, to find opportunity. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, and, and the reality of, uh, from just that perspective, it's, it be, it's in my, I mean, it's in the interest of everybody um, in our community to just give 
the knowledge freely. Give it. If you can teach somebody something, teach it. If you can, that's a gift. Um, it ain't. It's not necessarily about monetizing, giving somebody money, because you can give somebody a gift of knowledge and they can take that and and and, and feed the world. You know what I'm saying? Uh, a seed can can spark to a whole garden. Mm -hmm. A garden can turn into a farm. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, but you still got to do the things that make the garden grow and make the farm work. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It just doesn't exist because we want it to. Um, you got to put the work in and. That's what I'm committed to. I'm committed to giving knowledge um, and plant seeds wherever I can. Um, you know, that's uh, my dedication to my community and to the youth, and uh, I accept whatever comes along with that. Yeah, so. Okay. Well, I want, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit. I want to talk about clothes. Okay. <laughs> I want to talk about clothes. I want to talk about, you know, getting dressed, whatever, whatever. You know what I, I mean? I got some, some questions about it, too. I'm always <laughs> trying to put together something fashionable. I don't know fashion like you told me I know a little bit of something so I know a little bit of something yeah. but I look at my knowledge as like every dude like yeah. I throw some colors together you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 <laughs> and yeah. that's it you know um, actually I did want to ask if you're putting together an outfit where do you start like do you start with your belt do you start with a color do you start with the shirt your accessories how you start so yeah so I mean build, building a Building, so let's say, a, a, a constructing an outfit would really be based off of a few things. Mood, right? One. Um, like mood, like your personal or like mood? No, your like personal mood. Your personal mood, okay. Yeah, you, so clothes are a, a representation of who we are as individuals, right? It's, and I'm saying that loosely because some people, a lot of clothes are defining. But clothes, um, in most perspective, is a resonation of internal self. So hopefully you're acquiring clothes that identify with who you are internally and you're just projecting that outwardly. Mm -hmm. So, and that's also affected by your mood. So if you're waking up and you're feeling more relaxed and casual, and you don't necessarily want to really be over uh, uh, indulged with what it is you're wearing that day, that will set the tone for what it is that you should be wearing that's going to make you feel more relaxed in your day or comfortable in your day. So, yes, it would start with, hey, man, those are, I like those jeans. They're comfortable. Those shoes are, you know, cool. I like those. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of building off of that because the context, even as men, we like things to be real structured. All right, this, this shirt go with those shoes and go with these pants. Mm -hmm. and, organized, yeah. But the problem is that we get stuck in these, these very specific outfits. Mm -hmm. So most of the time, men, men are dressed by their women. And women dress men like they little boys. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I'm going to put you in this cute little polo shirt. This <laughs> khaki. You know what I'm saying? You, 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 and you can tell the guys being dressed by their women. Cause yes. Like, All right. I, I, I've had a couple women that, that would try. I'm just like, one, you don't even know my style. Two, <laughs> what you're recommending is whack. Yeah. And you watch, you, you want to dress me like a fucking mannequin somewhere. Yeah. And that's whack. Yeah. And two, three, you must not like me then. <laughs> no, I, I would. I wouldn't say that. I, 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 I think women just be so consumed with they gonna wear. They be like, put this on. Like, you know, yeah, like, nah. yeah. Put that I'm on. Like, how about you put this on? And I, I'm gonna dress you, and that's what ends up happening. I put on. Like, no, I've I've dressed numerous women, and I'm just like, yeah, see that that works. Yeah, that looks better. Now we can step out. Yeah, Let's but, but just to get to your point, yeah, I, 
I always start with one piece, and then I kind of go off of there, and then, and then let that be the, the, the foundation. Whether it, it and it varies. It could be a pair of shoes I like, mm-hmm. and I kind of build my outfit around that. It could be the shirt. It just kind of really just varies. Um, but you know, for the most part, you know, building a wardrobe is about how well you can connect and intersect all your pieces. Uh, okay. So that's really it's about having core pieces, and of course, you're gonna have your trendy, uh, for the moment pieces. But for your core pieces, you need to allow that to be your foundations, and then you kind of build off of that. And yeah, coordination over matching. Yeah, I, I, I see. I still see people matching, and I'm just like, why? No, you just like coordinate. But I know sometimes when you talk about coordination, that might. I almost feel like I almost think that's like something that's just in you to know. Yeah. It's kind of it's sec- it's second. It's second asking. nature. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because I think like. In my head, like, okay, boom, 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 this will go. And I can see, like, you know, the undertones or something will work well with, with some of the overtones, yeah, whatever yeah, the yeah. case may be. But I just know that. Yeah. You know, um, other people, I'll, I'll be out somewhere like, yeah, you know, I want this to go. I got the red shoes. And <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just like, no, don't do that. <laughs> so you're saying. Don't do the red shoes with the red hat. <laughs> I mean, you can maybe if you did different shades. Yeah. And and the design was was on point, yeah. but just like getting yeah, my red shoes and I got some and we got the black to go with the black that's here and the black pants. Yeah. It's like oh lord, brother, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you gotta think of it more like like you said a mood. Like mm-hmm. you gotta think creatively about it. It can't just be like black and white, red and red and red and red and it it's it's like what you you, you said um. Different shades of the color. Yeah, yeah I mean, so it's got to be like different gradients, or, and that's the yeah. coordinating. Mm-hmm. You don't yeah. want to match as much as you want to coordinate, and you want to go for and, a, and then, a centerpiece. Almost. And then also, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to bypass the fact that your lifestyle will also dictate mm-hmm. your wardrobe. Absolutely. So people, and I think we all, I do it, I've done it uh, more so uh, in the past than now, where. You may see something, but oh man, that's really nice. I like that, but, but it may not fit your way. lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know what I mean. So now you have something that's sitting in your closet that you like, but it's not functional for you. Mm-hmm. So when people come in here and they're like, oh man, what's new? What's latest and greatest? I'm like, well, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> they, they ain't even expecting that. Like, yeah, they're like, like, what do you, what do? you mean? Yeah, what do, what do you do? Because you know, it's, for me, I want people to wear the clothes. I want them to get some function functionality out of it, you know. Like, and if it doesn't work, it's just like, well, nah. You know, I'll tell people not to buy stuff like that's not gonna work for you. Like, mm. nah, it's cool. It, I know you may like it, but it doesn't fit what you do yeah. day to day. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, if you if you got the disposable income to invest in that and let it sit, then cool. But even still, I, I, I don't want you to think about it once and move past that. Like, no, you should be coordinating that coordinating that into your overall mm-hmm. rotation and rotation and just your, 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 yeah. your I still have vibe and I still have pieces I've been wearing since I was 13, 14 oh, man. well I've gone up and down in weight so I ain't got none of that yeah, <laughs> but you know well, I, you know we was wearing oversized stuff when you was 13, 14 so mm-hmm. by the time I became a grown ass man it, it just it just fits, fits me right now what's the oldest thing I still got nothing (laughs) nothing but I I, I do like to keep you know like you said core pieces Mm -hmm. and things I just keep for 
some time that they don't really age or they 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 get better with time. Yeah, you yeah. Know what I mean, I'm glad you said that. Let me know. I'm I'm thinking about it the right way too. And that's something else too. A lot of times we have we aren't taught fashion as men. Mm-hmm. So like, a, I know for me, I learned fashion through a lot of different ways. But if I hadn't learned them through any of those ways, I would have learned them through my grandmother's way, which was Steve Harvey suits. So let me ask you this. When you was in school, did you have to wear uniforms? No, I went to an art school. I see you went to art school, okay. So like, what we doing, like all of, none of this is really foreign for me. Mm-hmm. But I know that I was, it was, I, that was a privilege. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That was a privilege. Most other kids went to uniform schools where they had to do something special with the shoes, something dope with the laces that was different. Yeah. Or wear a different type of belt or something. Or an earpiece or, not an earpiece, uh Earring? Earring or jewelry yeah. or something like that. You know, they had yes. to do different things to be fashionable. I mean, you know, because the conditioning of how women are kind of like looked at and men, you know, men are pretty, you go to work in a, in a suit and tie. It's a uniform. Um, women, they can play around with the palettes, colors, and stuff like that. Yep. We, we're conditioned from day one to be like, hey, well, this this, this what you're going to wear. You're going to wear this jumpsuit. You know what I'm saying? It matches, right? Um, and, you know, it's with, with, with right? schools basically uh, not supporting uh, individuality, um, yeah, it's easy subjectively to just be like, ah. Like, by the time you're 12, 13 years old, you're so turned off from trying. Mm-hmm. And she's like, man, you know what? Forget it. I don't want to hear these teachers or the principal's mouth. Let me just, just wear my uniform. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually glad that I got, by the time I graduated, I think I graduated two years before the public school system I was in switched over to uniforms. Yeah. I was grateful for that because I'm yeah. like, man, I started out in private school. And when my parents put me in public school, I was very happy about that because I ain't want to wear that uniform no more, yeah. man. I wanted to do, do me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so just in merchandise in the store and whatnot, like, I mean, what are some of the things that you think about when selecting the brands that you want to work with, things like that? Is it just relationship? Is it, uh, or is it just, you know, what meets the, 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 the vibe and just what refresh is all about? Yeah. So it, it, I'm, I'm a very fabric oriented person. Mm-hmm. So texture, which dictates quality quality which dictates that the craftsmanship or the work put into crafting that piece of garment is going to sustainably be something that 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 adds the value mm-hmm. or is respectively understood what the value is um, and then it kind of morphs into uh, kind of understanding psychology of people like what we're going into um, what makes sense um, for that season whether it's a color palette or um, you know, just kind of be a, being intuitive in that regards of what people may be resonating more to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, <clears throat> for everything, everything's an intersect, and I try to connect all the dots. So this all resonates to my childhood, to understanding that energy when you're going into different environments, and it kind of all morphs into what's happening right now in the space. And it's kind of weird to kind of think about it in that context, but... People notice it when they come in the store and it resonates with them. Oh, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, even how I merchandise. Like you'll go in most stores and they may be brand, brand, this is this brand section and yeah. this is this brand section. 
Nah, it's you definitely got it all. Energy. It's all based on the curation is based off of texturally how it works together. So as a guy, it's not looking like a department store. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? As a guy, it looks more realistic. And, oh, okay, yeah, these are T-shirts. Mm -hmm. And I, T-shirts, I have the jeans in the middle of the store so you can kind of, like, objectively look at it because that's going to be the, the, the core of what people will put around a shirt or um, a pair of shoes. Um, and, you know, in, in that way, people can kind of absorb it a little better. So uh, it's like if you don't know nothing about fashion, you walk in here the outfits are laid out for you. But if you know about yeah. it, if mm -hmm. you know about it, then it just make it easier for you to find what goes and exactly. what don't go. That's cool. And even from That's a, even from a, a, just a, a visual perspective, you know, it's easier for me to show you uh, multiple button-ups and different color palettes and how you can transition those with, let's say, one pair of pants. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, or even, you know, the shoes or so forth and so on. So uh, definitely, a, I guess... I would consider a unique approach to fashion merchandising. Um, you know, I've walked past. Uh, like I said, I work in the, I work in this area, and I've walked past like all of the little boutiques. I never really walk in. I've been in here once or maybe twice before, but I just kind of walk through and just look. Like, what's what's what they got going on? Cassie Jordans and. Uh, Air Max and stuff like that. I'm probably not going in there. That's kind of what I look at. That's mm -hmm. why I don't go. I actually came in here because you had some sandal um, that some sandals that looked like they were inspired by Japanese culture. Mm -hmm. um, and somebody just was walking through the mall with them on. I'm like, damn, what are those? Those are hard. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know where she got those from, but those are tight. And then I walked past here and saw them. I'm like, oh. I'm going in. It's crazy yeah. you mentioned that, Calvin. I, I, when I came back over here today, I was like, Robert would wear them. The, the the kimono look not kimono, but the uh, the Japanese ones. So with the split toes. I wouldn't toes? wear the, the split toes. I wouldn't so wear the split are, toes. Those, those are the technical the term for are those are tabby. Tabbies. Yeah, tabby. Tabbies. Okay. Tabby. Yeah. Tabby. Those, I, I was looking. I'm like, that's. Oh, I like anime too. So yeah. like, when I look at that, I'm like, that reminds me of. Everything that I like about Japanese culture, mm -hmm. that remind well at least the fashion aspect. Everything I like about it, it reminds me of it, and it's like I can have that and wear and come in here and get all the way different if I choose to, mm -hmm. and walk out and be fly. I, I like that a lot. I was looking at I've been looking at all the visvums the okay. whole time I've been here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like I'm gonna yeah. cop all the visvums because <laughs> I mean I've always liked visvum. Um, I like moccasin style shoes like that um even those uh those lace-up boat shoe platforms oh the weather yeah the weapon yeah that was a that's all that is me that <laughs> second row that's about where i would start and stop some on the top <laughs> but those black ones right there the moccasin black lows right there yeah that's where i would be at mm -hmm. anything black that's really where i want to be at definitely Definitely. So, that's it. Um, but that's I was going to ask you something. You said that you changed the aesthetic of what you were merchandising. Mm -hmm. And it was a drastic change. When you changed that, um, was it a, a harsh change for the, you know, the consumer, the people who come in, to just your shop? It, it was no different from when we first opened. I mean, it was the same type of uh, impact. Um, 
because it was confusing. Like, okay, you guys were this. We identify you with being that. But this is where pushing it forward is necessary. Because mm. complacency is not a room for growth. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So, and it being a situation to where now we've influenced or inspired other boutiques in the city to uh, ascend to what we were doing, mm -hmm. it was time to push it forward further. Mm -hmm. um, and now even going beyond that <clears throat> is pushing it to a realm to where you can't copy this mm -hmm. because it's as unique as an individual, right? And fashion right now, with fast fashion being so prevalent, um, it's easy for these fast fashion companies to manufacture something they may see from a high-end designer and get it to market, let's say, in three weeks. Yes. Which is super fast. Mm -hmm. um, so as a boutique in this climate, if you're not building your own DNA um, and you're not resonating uniquely enough, you're going to get swallowed. Um, so a lot of the people that are just... Mm -hmm. Even, you know, you got people with money saying, hey, I'm going to open up a store because I have money and I have access. But you don't have community, you don't have culture, you don't have perspective, you don't, you're not a visionary. So you're just throwing money at something that's hollow. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're going to get people that's going to resonate with that. But for the people that's looking to move it forward, that's, that's the sweet spot. You know, and even being, being that for the city, it's, uh, it's just, sometimes it's disheartening because it's like, all right, man. They don't get it, but I know they will. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so it was definitely like, wow, you think that's going to work? Man, you know, we need some more T-shirts in here. And it's just like, well, I've grown. Mm -hmm. So that needs to resonate in everything I do in my life. Right. Because um, that, that's stagnant. I can't stag I can't be progressed in this way and... Oh yeah, let me just dumb. Let me just dumb down for the sake of making a dollar, because mm -hmm. that's not necessary. I mean, um, yeah. and it's not progressive, and it's not impactful, and we're not allowing those same kids that have been affected, so that are twenty now, they need to be inspired by what's next. Mm -hmm. And the kid that's ten is going to be like, all right, this is this is this is the level I'm coming in at. Yeah. So now we're planting the seed to say, hey, all right, cool. I've seen all this. What's next? So this is, this is pushing it forward. Mm -hmm. um, so as much as they may not understand it, I mean, it's, sometimes it's just about connecting with the people that will. You don't need more T-shirts. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of other places they can get T-shirts. There's, there's actual streetwear stores in the city they can get T-shirts from. Yeah. Nah. All of that. You don't need no more T-shirts. Um, but you could use, for me, and... and um, people who are active and want to look fly while they active. You see those jumpers right there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah you can get, <laughs> get some more of them? Yeah, you can get a couple more of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, one thing I wanted to ask about is um, denim. Because um, people don't know about denim. Mm -hmm. I, I've been talking about this for years. Like, man, people really don't know about denim. It's really bad, too. Um, mm -hmm. Even down to, I've wanted to do something like a denim clinic, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? To just really, like, as a primer, you know, just like, this is how you can shop for denim better, you know what I mean? Because especially for people who I know are spending money on certain brands of denim, that are just like, eh, eh, 
let me point you in the direction of something better. Like, <laughs> I know you're familiar because you, however you heard about it, but let me point you in the direction of something better. Um, have you gotten any, like, you know, questions about just, like, I haven't even looked at the denim that you sell here, but mm -hmm. um, have you gotten any questions from anybody asking, like, you know, you know, what is this? What, how, how do I know? And, like, what, what's this about? So denim, <clears throat> denim is a very, so let's say, let's say up to, like, say, let's say 10, 15 years ago, right? You know, you had this whole uh, push for salvage denim. Like, it was like, oh, I need salvage. It has to be salvage. It has I'm, to be. I'm, st I'm still a salvage. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it had to be salvage. You had, to have, you had to have the, 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 the red and white mm -hmm. off the, you know what I'm saying, off the cuff. Yeah. Um, you had to see that to buy it. Yeah. Um, you want to see that indigo, and then and you want to see that, you want to see that, that slub and everything. But I think, and I'm, 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 I'm going to build it up. So I was a denim head, and it was salvage for me, too, mm -hmm. until I started ruining my $400, $500 shoes. And yeah, you will, they, that, that, um, that, that, that die yeah. will get on your shit. Uh, <laughs> so that kind of shifted how I brought denim and how I feel like a lot of men brought denim. Mm -hmm. Because if you was willing to mess up your couch, your car seats, and your shoes, you know what I'm saying? Or if you, God forbid, you get caught in the rain. Yeah, because uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> even, even if even if you do the cold wash like two three times, it's still like it's it still some work. more left. Yeah, it it's still work. some more left to um, run on out. Um, you know, but getting past that, I mean, you still you still have your truest when it comes to denim. Um, but the process of how denim denim is made and you know the wearability of denim has changed. They've added stretch to denim. Um, they do have salvage stretch. Um, I. I've scaled my denim selection down because I feel like for guys, it comes down to three fits. Skinny, slim, straight. Yep. That's right? It. And as men, we really want to just kind of fit. We're going to fit into either one of those categories. Some guys may be slim, straight. Some guys may be slim, skinny. Mm -hmm. um, but in, somewhere in them three range, you're yeah. going to fall into it. So I, I offer a very limited amount of denim because I know once that guy figures out what he what fits him well, he's gonna buy that in every color he can possibly get it in. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Or come back and just buy another pair of the same pants. Right, right, right. You're absolutely right. That's what I did. <laughs> so whereas people that were truest were just buying it because it was just more of like a, I guess like streetwear culture. Like, mm -hmm. oh, man, I gotta get these, you know, uh, Capital denim or, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, I know Levi's was kicking up their whole premium denim. Yeah, they, um, yeah, they definitely scaled up a lot. You know, so it, 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 it's definitely a different market, and even more so now, let's say within the past two or three years, um, with fast fashion, guys have kind of digressed and like, hey, they're just jeans, right? Which... I be, I be, no, no, uh, but, okay. but, but with, 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 with respect, right? <clears throat> so... I'm not going to bash fast fashion because it definitely has a necessary space. Mm -hmm. um, but for the guy um, that's looking for just a decent pair of jeans and he's not necessarily into denim like that, he may be into dope sneakers. You know what I'm saying? And that may be where the bulk of his money goes into because a guy will spend money, most guys are going to spend money on either their jeans and they're going to wear like boots or something a little bit more constructive that's wearable. Um, if they're if they're a denim guy and into denim, they're gonna wear more like red, uh, uh, red wings, 
Timberlands, mm-hmm. uh, something that kind of fits in that aesthetic. They're not going to spend that much money on their footwear because they're going to wear the same shoe for years. Yeah. Um, but they'll drop on denim. Um, the guy that is a sneakerhead, he's going to drop on sneakers and a bunch of sweats. And uh, so his denim game ain't necessarily going to be the most important thing for him. Um, I guess I always just think <laughs> in terms of like what's going to last. What's going to last the longest? So you know. Put up, you know, a couple hundred on, you know, or shit. You could even get some. There's even there's even denim out there that's pretty decent for like under two hundred. Yeah. You know what I mean? That will last you. You know what I mean? But you know, you get you some forty fifty dollar denims. It's like, eh, it ain't gonna last long. Don't, I think that's perspective. Don't I mean, don't don't <laughs> wash, don't wash it too much. <laughs> and, and, and also, I find that I always tell people, you may not understand why this. This particular item costs as mm-hmm. much, mm-hmm. Um, but as you kind of, let's say, if you go to H and M and you you you're buying a new pair of jeans every month, you're finding you put them in the washing machine and they just disappear. Down you know there. what I mean? Um, at some point in time, you're gonna be like, man, I, I'm spending a lot of money on these. I got a stack of jeans that I really can't wear no more. Mm-hmm. Either they stretch themselves out too far to where they don't fit you right, uh, or they just start to kind of fall apart. You kind of will get into the point. Let me try something different. So, as people kind of progress in their perspective, at some point in time, they're going to look for the better quality pieces. Um, you in, know, so in, in, in their own time. Yeah, in, in their own. So time. It, 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 it's definitely a balance of they're not there yet. Um, I'm, I'm gonna give you a perfect example. Me personally, <clears throat> I have friends. Spend a thousand dollars on shoes. I'm like, man, get some Nikes. It's two hundred dollars, one eighty. And uh, I'm always testing the waters. I'm like, well, you know what? Let me tr- let me just try to figure out why this shoe is worth a thousand dollars. And uh, I travel quite a bit, and I'm always at some point in time. I was always buying sneakers. Like, man, I need sneakers. I'm going to town. But if I'm going for a week and I come back home, my sneakers look like they've been worn. Like. Done. I'm not saying done, done, but done like I I see wear yeah. on my shoe. Were they worth two hundred dollars? So I measured. I got ten pair of Nikes, right, or whatever Adidas, whatever. Let's say at the average cost per shoe is two hundred dollars. But I wore them, let's say ten weeks. You got each shoe, and they all look like I don't want to wear them no more. But I got a thousand dollar pair of shoes that I've worn ten times, and they still look new. I've saved myself time, energy, and effort. Because now I'm not spending more time to go buy more shoes. I can focus on whatever, my vacation or my business, right? And I've made an investment in something that's going to stay with me longer than the 10 pairs that I don't want to wear no more. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So when you start to equate your, 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 your time and value, that $1,000 pair makes more sense because I'm not spending, let's say you go out, Town, you shopping for two, three hours. You could be enjoying life. You know what I mean? Doing something else. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's, what I'm that's something about me. Like I, I, I love fashion, but I hate shopping. I'm just yeah. like, I don't feel like doing this. Um, we think about um somebody like um Alan O'Neill partnering with um, True Religion to help revamp the brand. Mm. I think it's. I think it's. I personally know Alan. Um, I think that it it reasserts the perspective that we know better, right? 
Um, and it also true that you needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you needed yeah. some revamping. Yeah, you know, and and and, and I, I don't know how how that's going to work out. Um, because internally with these companies, you don't know what type of limitations you may have, mm-hmm. what level of uh, of uh, uh, you know true uh, change you can really make. Um, but for the sake of the, the optics, I think it's dope. You know what I mean, I think it's uh, another inch into. All right, we need they need to, they need us to validate it. You know what I mean, because we already do it, but we don't get paid. And now to see this insertion or this acceptance of uh, people that have been influencing or are influencing, and they're being able to monetize off of their platform, I think in that regard, it's it's, uh, it's good to see. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's definitely good to see. So thoughts on uh, Fenty being the first brand that LVMH launched since Christian Lacroix? Uh, oh, for people who don't know, LVMH stands for Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy. Forget. <laughs> Put stuff up that like that out there. I mean, I I don't necessarily have an opinion on that. I I, I guess I'm more focused, and not to get off that 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 question. I guess I'm more focused on our influences into that sector. Okay. Because I remember how excited everybody was when Virgil got the what was it, the the artistic director position. Yeah, I think creative director. Yeah, yeah, for, is, for, yeah. For, for Louis Vuitton. I remember how excited yeah. people were um, when that happened. So I know because it's Rihanna and she's a mega pop star and people, you know, already love Fenty. Um, you know, people were even more excited to see this happen. Hmm. I'm mixed, man. Um, it's almost like... Uh, and I'm 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 very jaded in a perspective because I'm in the industry, mm-hmm. so I see how much of the influences um, kind of affect these these higher or, or I guess more vetted brands um, need to insert or be a part of the culture in mm-hmm. some way, shape, form, or fashion. And for me, it becomes a very uh, telling. Situation to where it's just like, wow, man, what if what if she would have just did her own sneakers? I mean, did her own collection, like had a team that, that sourced, uh, manufactures, produced these goods, um, and created the brand from a very organic perspective and kept it true. Um, but at the same time, this is a situation to whereas I mirror that with Alan having the opportunity to be creative director for uh, True Religion. And, you know, I'll take the inch. But I'm also like, man, you know, what would have happened if we could have could have uh, really had some uh, real ownership? Now, I, I agree with you there. I'm going to play devil's advocate real quick. Because yeah. I, see this, I see this come up a lot. I remember um, quite a few people... Um, but I'm happy for Rihanna. Like I, I, I'm happy. I'm happy for the whole progression. I, I want to say that. I don't, I don't, I don't no, nah, like I, I mean you. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> you don't sound like you hating or none of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to, oftentimes, you know, like we saw this happen with with Kanye and him wanting to um, get with Louis Vuitton. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, 
I remember even once, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, Ooh, yo, you're touching on something, and <laughs> this goes back to my point. No, 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 no. But again, <laughs> but even I remember one time, um, you know, um, Coltrane Curtis. Yeah. Okay, so I remember one time he was upset, and he was on his Instagram talking about it's like you know, got passed up by um, what was that? The ad color or ad age again for you know being recognized as like a top creative agency and everybody that was recognized was white it was a white-owned agency um and i commented it's just like i get what people want it's that 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 amount of visibility and recognition that you get by being aligned with one of these these institutions i get that you know but aside from that what what are you getting from them besides that that you couldn't get on your own. You're saying in, in that in reference to Coltrane, or just in general, even like with Kanye West, or even to your points about you know like what if you just you know did it on your own and not necessarily aligned with these larger um, generations well, I, long institutions. So this becomes a situation to where we want to be accepted by a community that's. I guess pulling from. Mm -hmm. So the fashion industry is built off of. So we. So this whole concept of streetwear, right? Mm -hmm. Which is kind of like the main the, the main word for fashion: streetwear, lux, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But the origins of streetwear came from project kids mm -hmm. that didn't have the money to buy the designer stuff, so they got what they could and turned it into stuff that was cool for them. Mm -hmm. And now it's become this lux line of. Just morphed the uh, perspective. Oh, that's streetwear. He's like, nah. That's, I mean, yes, it's inspired by streetwear, but this isn't what streetwear is in essence. Right. You know what I mean? So now, with the monetization of this concept of streetwear, um, it's all it's a it's a, it's a it's a very sordid environment for me, right? So when you start to look at fashion as a whole, let's let's say that's as recent as. Um, Let's say about two, maybe three or four years ago, with Givenchy doing this oversized fit. Because right? okay. I was gonna say I was gonna blame the Givenchy uh, Rottweiler tee. Well, they came out with that. That you I mean, what you see but, that? But yeah. you, you look at some of these silhouettes. It takes you back to Carcano. Mm -hmm. My solo. Uh, was the was another design that was back then? Um, just those silhouettes and cuts were part of. All right, we want a baggy jean. That fits us in the waist, but we want you know we want a little loose, looseness in the leg. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what you got when you got a pair of Right. You know I mean? And to see these higher end brands adaptively take that same model and sell it back to us, mm -hmm. it's crazy for a thousand dollars for a pair of pants, right? Um, which you know I, I I have Givenchy. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit up here and and, 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 and label bash, um, but. No, I mean it's definitely I, I, not. It, it becomes it becomes a situation to where for me, at the level I'm at, mm -hmm. I'm always I have to progress. So I right, cool, Fenty is cool, but man, who's who's the next artist? Let's say if it's her, like man, maybe we can structure a, a, a network of manufacturers or young up and coming designers that can work. We can build the team that will develop a line specifically for that artist. Mm -hmm. We take that same concept and we build it for this artist. 
And now we're, we're collectively having ownership and the collective and the narrative changes. So now it's not about, oh, well, we want you to come be a designer. Well, how can we partner with you? Like, how can we be a part of this process? And it makes me think about people like, say, like April Walker, who has done work to, 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 um, to revive Walkerwear. Um, and who else? I've seen Carl Kanai, you know, he's, you know, releasing pieces and things again in, 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 line, in um, collections. Um, then you got uh, Willie Esco. Who did he partner with? I can't remember the shoe company he just partnered nah, with. But you, got, you, got, you got those companies who, when you brought up just like how the, 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 the high-end brands are taking the silhouettes that, you know, those types of, those designers from that era came up with and selling it back to us now. Um, I, I don't think the solution is rekindling these brands. Mm -hmm. I think I agree with you. I think the older guy, people that have been participated in that industry mm -hmm. should be teaching the kids. I I can't I can't out youth somebody now. Right, right, right. Right? So the future of fashion is from some kid that's in his book on his computer designing something right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not from Cock and Not. Like, right. he had his time, and he touched the people in his community at the time. It was relevant for him to touch his people. Mm -hmm. But you take that knowledge, and you apply it, and you give somebody in your community the opportunity to push it forward. Mm -hmm. And that, that is more sustainable because we're always reaching back to pull forward. Right? So, I guess so when you, when you, that's, that's just like, that's just, that's just like somebody that's, uh, 40 years old, and he said, man, you know what? I had that one line back in the day that everybody thought was crazy. I'm going to go back and become a rapper. No. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, no, no disrespect to what you was in your time, but, you, but, but it's just like... Your, your time has passed. Do something new. Yeah, do you know something new. Mean? Something. Just, and, and, maybe, maybe, maybe you give somebody else a chance that you... Because your platform is be the OG. So in the same way that, mm -hmm. that Emory Jones operates as a consultant for a lot of shoe brands. Yeah. Okay. Be, 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 be OG. Be somebody that is looked at as, all right, man, if I link with Kark and I, I got the opportunity to produce my brand, and with his knowledge, I can navigate through the industry better. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And all praise to Kark and I for creating an opportunity for me. Mm -hmm. And then that turns into a, that young dude inspired another. You know what I mean? It, 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 this turns into an opportunity. Like we're creating multiple opportunities that are progressing. And it doesn't take away from what Carcanal has done. It's actually adding to the story. Right. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? It's really building on something that was foundationally relevant. I'm still talking about it. Building his legacy. But would I wear Carcanal right now? I wouldn't say no, but I wouldn't say yes at the same time. You um, wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't wear Carl Kanai as you remember Carl Kanai. Like, no. Would you wear an updated Carl Kanai? I would have to see it. Right. Okay. I mean, I, I, fashion as just as well as perspective changes all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but my core of it is I, I definitely would like to see a young twenty one year old um, that's connected or has relations with a very relevant now participate in. And, and doing something okay. uh, as opposed to somebody trying to rekindle something. Okay. Um, because now, you know, something that was very organic at the time, you, can, you can't recreate that. Like, it's just, that's, that's just like somebody, hey, man, we want to make another Boys in the Hood. 
I, I don't think that's possible. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's that you, you're the energy and the, what was happening at the time is just totally different from now. Like you, just, you can't reproduce that. Um, and you know, and, and at the same time, you know, uh, on a side note, like I've never been a fan of Marvel and comic, all this, but yeah, now, like man. seeing the new, like this, these stories being told in the way they're told now, I'm. I'm hooked. I'm like, oh wow, this is amazing. You know what I mean? Like, but back when I was young, I didn't care about that stuff. You wasn't into I wasn't it. caring yeah. about Wolverine or any of this stuff. But seeing these stories evolve and how they're able to uh, you know, really tell these stories yeah. more eloquently, it comes from a younger perspective. Oh, we can do this better this way. But it's not taken away from what uh, maybe the guys that were collecting comic books were experiencing. Mm-hmm. It's just adding to the and building a bigger base of people that can appreciate it from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are, are there any designers that you know of who are embracing ownership of their of their their brand and their business oh, in, yeah. the way, in the way that you say that you would like to see more designers? Pierre Moss. Okay. Yeah. Kirby Jean Raymond. Yeah. Um, it's 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 beautiful to see. He's I think he's thirty two. Yeah, I met him when he guy. was about twenty eight. Yeah. Um. You know he's gone through his trials and tribulations, um, but he's always pushed it forward. And that seeing these examples of young men that are forging ahead and saying, "Hey, I'm not going to stop, even though I may want to at times," um, and really reap the benefits of. Uh, of just moving forward mm-hmm. and staying in the act of doing, yeah. um, this is pushing the culture forward. And quick reference point for, for all the listeners, um, if you're unfamiliar with the brand Pierre Moss or um, the designer Kirby Jean Raymond, um, if y'all saw any of the recap of Met Gala ensembles, um, he is the brother who was standing next to Lena Wave the whole night and they both had on suits that he designed um, with uh, I can't get them I'm not going to get <laughs> the messaging on both suits right but they both stood out to me um, and um, that's probably the that's actually the the, the most recent um, thing that I could think of in the media that you can find about um, Pierre Moss or uh, Kirby but um, yeah so that's your quick reference point on that but um, I agree with you there I agree with you there um I just know. I mean, and locally, there's a young, there's a young footwear designer. His name is Jelani. Paid, designed, producing, um, and releasing his own footwear brand. Okay. And what's the name again? His name is Jelani. Jelani. Okay. He's 21 years old. Um, I, I recently just met this young man. Um, and he educated me on something. Uh, and I, I can't remember the guy that designed this machine, which is called a lasting machine. Mm-hmm. It was a black man that created uh, the lasting machine, which is how we make shoes in modern day times. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, which was very enlightened and uh, inspirational. Like these stories of innovation that we don't hear about. Now this 21 year old just educated me on something I never knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and that right there at 21, um, to have a sense of perspective and self-worth to say, hey, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and put my money into making my own shoe. That's that's pushing it forward. Absolutely, it absolutely. You know I mean? Especially because you don't you don't hear about people 
you don't hear about the shoe design from like the ground up. You hear about you hear about the collaborations, things like that, but you don't hear about, you know, especially with us, you know, as black people, like you don't often hear about um oh I designed a whole shoe. Yeah. You know, I designed a whole shoe collection. You know what I mean? Um I just found out about um a brand based in Brooklyn. Um sell mostly women's shoes called uh was it a uh, Brother Veil? Or, uh, I'm not familiar with that. Um, they they make some dope ass women's shoes. I'll yeah. tell you that. Like if for like any woman you know who's in the shoes, yeah, um, they would love it. Uh, they would love the brand. They dress a lot of um, a lot of celebrities and what have you. But um, again, even just knowing that, I'm just like, this is dope. I'm, just, I'm however I can support this sister. You know, get get her customers. You know, she come out with some some yeah. ill ass men's shoes. I'm a cop. Whatever I can do because you know. Yeah, you don't hear about shoes. So I'm definitely going to look more into this this brother Jelani yeah. to find out what he's doing. I mean, we, we have to give the youth a voice. We have to support, even when we don't, as being older, no, nah, nah, I hate this. When people that are older feel like they don't know what it is to be young, um, they seem to be disconnected from the fact that your parents thought you were doing some stuff that was different. Yes. And that's, that's always going to be the case. Yeah. Right. Um, but we get removed from this idea that, hey, their time is their time. Like, you don't get the music? All right, cool. You don't have to go to the clubs. But they get it. It resonates with them. And I've always learned to understand and respect the fact that, hey, this is their era. This is their time to do whatever it is that makes them feel or connect in a way that makes sense to them. Every That's generation exciting. has its own youth culture. Yeah. It's exciting yeah. to watch it. It's yeah. exciting to support it. And you got to support that in every way, shape, form, or fashion. Like, it has to happen. It's necessary because the kids are what... The world will become tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> you know, get out of today. <laughs> like it's already gone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm honestly right now. I'm thinking. I'm listening and taking everything in, but I'm also thinking about if there is like a dirty sort of look for fashion at this point. Not at this point, but is there ever dirty in what regard? Like like. So I was going to ask a question about dirty shoes versus clean shoes as a dude that likes sneakers. Yeah. Right? The conversation was, still is sometimes, when you get new shoes, do you wear them? For me, it's hell yeah. Like, it don't make sense to buy them and then sit them in the closet and just leave them there to me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I also understand why you would do it if you collect them. What are the Reeboks you got, man? They, they dirty now. They are? Yeah, they dirty now. I ain't never seen you wear them. <laughs> they white. They... <laughs> They you wore one time and they got collected all the dirt. That's the thing. I don't wear enough. <laughs> That's what happened. That is what happened. But I don't wear enough. Um, I don't deceit. wear enough. <laughs> I don't wear enough. Um, uh, enough. I don't wear other colors to really put those together. I'll Dude. go to work, get crap on them. Do you treat your shoes? No, I don't. Oh well, you you you, you giving up the life. Oh, well, put me on the game then. No, I mean, you, you did. I mean, it's technology. You can spray on your shoes and stuff slide right off. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you come in <laughs> the joints. Yeah. Yeah, nano, it was the nano technologies. So they have these uh, uh, nano sprays. I think one of them is called like Never Wet. Mm-hmm. I'm not sponsoring Never Wet. Uh, I'm just <laughs> I'm, giving I'm a, you an example. <laughs> We're not talking about the, the Foot Locker uh, no, no, spray. No, 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 no. no. So this is a vibe. So if you look up nano. Uh, Shoe protection, like you, you, it'll come up all over the web, and you can even actually look at examples of how uh, resilient this uh, technology is. Um, um, yeah, I see it right here, nano shoe protector. Yeah. Now, okay, so 
I know what I'm be treating my shoes with now yeah. at this point. But yeah, you um, gotta treat your shoes, man. Especially the white ones. I don't like getting white because I know when you sit them in a corner or wear them for just an hour, you go home and they dirty. Yeah. Um, but now I was gonna ask, do you prefer your shoes dirty or, or no, I like, super I like, clean? I'm or, from Brooklyn. I like clean shoes. You like clean shoes? Okay, I, that I, makes but, sense. But I come from I come from an era where when you when you got home and you took your shoes off. <laughs> You clean them. Yeah, that's I know it too. Yeah, I just know I ride a bike and having uh, riding a bike kind of take away from the so you, excitement so, of so having. So you need to, to get the nano. No, you need to get a. It's called a sock you put over your shoe while you ride your bike. Oh, so they got these one socks. So motorcycles, the guys that ride motorcycles, you put they, them on. They no, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about, but they have like a fashion sock. Yeah. Like they got like it's clear and then another one got different designs on yeah. it or something like that. I was looking at that. I'm like, man, maybe I should. Yeah, you need to you need to, you need to put a sock over your over yeah, your. You got me uh, reminding me actually about these. Look, things. I'm glad you're hearing this, man. You know when when <laughs> yeah. where I come from, my mother. You know when I went school shopping, I got five shirts, mm. and look, maybe if a good year I got two pair of pants. So you go to school five days a week. I had the Either if I was going to wear the blue shirt twice, I had to wash it and let it air dry. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And my mother took me shopping at Payless. So I wore, uh, what were they called? Pro Wings? Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Pro Wings. Yeah, so, yeah, I remember them. So uh, when I came home from school, mm-hmm. now I, I was poor, but I was going to make sure I looked clean. No, I, <laughs> you know I, what I mean? <laughs> no, I know it. I know it. As a kid, that, that's definitely what you had to do. Mm-hmm. As a kid, as an adult. You still. I wonder do people. So don't still. I'm, I'm saying like, that to say. We grown and we like. Yeah. Scrub I'm, our shoes still. Say it again. As adults, do we still scrub our shoes like grown men? Grown. I clean my. I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying I'm, I'm 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 as thorough, but I do buy shoes that are a little bit more resilient because of the quality. I'll do a quick wipe. You know, like yeah. the, like the, the the this part of the sole so, or something. Yeah. You know so I'm I'm gonna I mean? explain like a lot of a lot of people don't understand like some of these high end footwear brands. Um, the key to a shoe value is how well you can clean it or wear it with, as long as it looks new. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, when you get like a, it's a basic hundred to two hundred dollars shoe, you're getting a real just kind of rudimentary rubber sole, right? Um, but when you get into the higher end shoes, the rubber is vulcanized. So vulcanizing the rubber is a process to where they heat the rubber up to a certain uh, temperature. It, it uh, makes the, the, the shoe uh, or the rubber sole less porous, meaning less things can penetrate it. Um, and it makes it harder so where you can get a longer life out of that shoe. Um, and really, a lot of times when shoes start to break down, sneakers in particular, is because your sole is wearing. Mm. Um, so when you start to get all of this movement in the shoe, if your foot is moving around in the inside of the shoe, where it's hot, sweaty, you're getting all of this uh, uh, premature wear and tear. Mm-hmm. Because as the shoe is doing all these dynamic things, you're also compromising the integrity of the, the fibers. Um, so when the sole is cheap, cheaper, um, the shoe is going to wear faster. Um, but when you have a, a vulcanized sole, it allows you to have that stability, and the shoe will last you longer. Um, Much longer. Because back in the day, before uh, in the ancient times, you didn't get new shoes; you got new soles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> the take upper to, part take, of the take shoe. Take it to the cobbler, have them 
slap yeah, on a new soul. Yeah, you, you got new soul. So, and and most of the times back in the day, a soul had to last you about a good year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, but shoes people are kind of removed from that perspective. The shoes were designed for yeah. that type of exactly that type of work, though. Um, you know what I mean? Unless you get like you said, unless you get like a, a higher end shoe that is probably designed for that. Yeah. Um, and I'm not talking about like an athletic shoe, uh, but a high end shoe. Yeah. So you can get a new shoe, I guess. Yeah. Um, now I'm thinking different about how I'm about to be wearing my shoes for the next rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I'm be riding a bike or doing any type of traveling while I'm walking, any of that, the shoes, I need them to last and not look like on the shelf they're going to last just because they got a little bit more leather on it or something. You know what I'm saying? Or they tie a little tighter. Like, nah, it has to be of real quality. So I didn't know about the cobbler. I know what a cobbler is, but I didn't know that that was the whole idea behind the cobbler. You go and you get your soul replaced every year, every soul, however you can afford it. You get your soul replaced, keep the shoe, which is actually kind of dope because I like shoes, but you need new soles. And um, now I'm looking at where you can get athletic shoes at where they actually are of quality. Yeah. I mean, you definitely want to pay attention and educate yourself on when you're spending that type of money because... All of these brands will slide in. You may get one shoe that was produced in Italy, and they may want to cut costs and start producing the shoe in Portugal, and it may turn into a totally different shoe. It could be the same exact model, um, but that manufacturing mm-hmm. shift can change the size, how, how the shoe fits your foot, um, the qualities and materials they may use. Um, so, you know... It's never about just relying on that brand unless they've, you've been rocking with them for some years and it's just been consistently the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to just really just do your due diligence and make sure that you're getting what you're paying for and not just get caught up in the, the name brand. Um, um, you know, because that, that's where people kind of get duped. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, for the most part, me being a, uh, a store owner, um, I try to circumvent as much of that as possible so you're getting the best of the best even when they are kind of stepping back. You know, I'm the buffer between what I feel will last you versus what they're trying to pass as a moment. You know what I mean? Just actively um, in front of that quality control. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, man, you know, and that, and that, and that all that comes with perspective and understanding what it, what it takes to make something happen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, this is definitely insight. So take it for what it's worth. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. So, all right. Final segment. You ready for a random aside? Let's, we're we're we going to do the lightning round. We're okay. Burn through it. 20 questions. Okay. All right. First question. What's the flyest thing you've ever done? Exist. Is it possible to make the process look sexy? Easy. Describe life of Kanye West as president. Um, <laughs> relevant. What's the kindest thing you've ever done that you never got credit for? The kindest thing I've done I never got credit for. Wow. Uh, I don't think I can take credit. Uh, I think that's humanity, man. I don't really know about. There's some good people here, man. 
There's some really good people in New Orleans, really. I'll tell you about it later. Okay. <laughs> um, you've been asked to come up with a Met Gala theme. What is it? The future. Name the best chicken spot anywhere. Oh, I don't eat chicken, so I can't tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, is Nas' album really done? Nas has a new album? <laughs> he had one. Oh, he got, I don't know. If the, I don't know if that was the one. Yeah, I, don't, I, I can't speak on. I wasn't educated. He got some that. new records out. He got some new records he got out. New records. Okay. He got one with Amy Winehouse. I, I, but I know he was wearing the Pierre Moss outfit for a new campaign. So doing something. So something, something going something, on. Something's going on. So yeah. we might have another album coming that actually will be done. Yeah. Yeah. I believe in it. That's my favorite rapper. So I believe in him. Okay. <laughs> I believe him. Um, name three places in your city to take a first-time visitor. Three places in the city. Uh, I mean, French Quarter, of course. The Warehouse District? You don't sound too confident about that. <laughs> you don't sound too confident about it. You know why I'm saying that? Because it always shifts. It seems like every time I, I leave and come back, there's something else new that popped up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, oh, okay, that's new. All right, I didn't see that last time I was in town. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that shift, and in some places, I tell people to go. Like I've having, I'm doing my quality control. I go back and be like, oh, I can't tell nobody to come in. There. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's All right, like, so we'll put that like as a, with an asterisk at the yeah. at the bottom of the list. So yeah, French Quarter. I mean, but that's kind of like real, just broad, right? Like, <laughs> it's all subjective. There's no right or wrong answer. Um, I mean, I'm gonna just give, make it one answer, man. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take them to where it's relevant at the time. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> What's the name of the first person you kissed? What is the name of the first person I kissed? I'm gonna have to abort that one. I don't know. <laughs> You're on an episode of Shark Tank. What are you pitching and wearing? What am I pitching and wearing? Wow, that's an interesting question. Um, well, let me say this. I wouldn't go on Shark Tank because if I've gotten to that point to where I'm able to position myself to present something and have investors come into it, uh, I think I probably would do that on my, I would continue as, as is. Um, what would be a business I would do that I would potentially take to Shark Tank? Uh, A social coffee company. I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of a, a weird question. That's this. That's interesting, though. Okay. Top three artists to change your mindset. And it could be any type of artist. That's a broad question, brother. <laughs> Top three artists that changed my mindset. Oh well, recently. Uh, I discovered her, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which has exposed me to a, another platform, which was uh, NPR Tiny Desk. Yes, mm-hmm. which I, I oh, was I was blind to mm-hmm. up until recently. Um, uh, 
trying to be dynamic in my my answer, but uh, I can't think of anything outside of that. I mean, that's been probably the most inspirational thing that I've discovered right now. And me reengaging in uh, discovering new music. Because okay. after leaving the music industry, I was kind of burnt. Yeah. Well, I feel like on the power of, of old music and, and your, your, your more... Um, um, steady inspirations either because it's a lot that said old, older music yeah your older music your older inspirations even if it's older artists. I mean Illmatic I mean I, I guess if you kind of in my in my younger years it was probably very prolific in uh, my view I mean there was another artist uh, no pun intended but uh, what is his name Mike Geronimo mm-hmm. now I know about Mike Geronimo yeah, yeah. He, he was he was Definitely the yeah dynamic mm-hmm. uh, and his uh, his lyrical uh, dexterity yeah yeah, yeah so uh, okay. hope right. I hope I answered that you answered you gave us three that's okay. that answers the question <laughs> good. and it was three that we ain't heard before <laughs> uh, what did you do last summer you don't remember do you no nah, I was working on the website for the store okay yeah okay. Name the last amazing album you heard. Amazing album. Good luck. Ah, Kendrick Lamar. Uh, first uh, album. Uh, what was Good it called? Kid. Good Kid, Kid Man City. City yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's my favorite of the of the three. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in ten years? Retired. Yeah. I feel like it's coming, it's, it's, you're coming up on that time. Well, I told myself I was going to retire by the time I'm 40, but I passed that. Um, but, you know, I'm not saying retired in the sense of being removed, but retired in the sense of my day-to-day. Yeah. Okay. You know, by then, I've built a platform where the youth can come do, do their thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who do you channel when you create? My highest self, man. Craziest Uber or Lyft experience? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) So, look, I was coming. So, New Orleans is a very particular city. Mm -hmm. So, I was in an Uber. It's actually two. Can I tell you two? Yeah. So, I was in this first guy. Both of these guys, both both of these people picked me up in like an F-150, which Mm -hmm. is kind of odd, right? Because anywhere in the world... Uber, I don't, I'm probably in the South, you can see somebody pick you up in the F-150. Yeah, that's the first time I got picked up in a pickup truck So, here. <laughs> so first guy, I got in the car, and I'm like, man, this dude look like Jay Electronica, right? So I said, look, man, he's like Jay Electronica. But I knew his pedigree, meaning living in New Orleans, you know how certain people are built, mm-hmm. right? So I was like, I know this dude from the streets. So we started talking. And, you know, he disclosed some stuff to me. And I'm like, man. <laughs> I was like, I, I got it right, right? Yeah. So I was like, at the same time, I'm like, man, this dude is from a stock of New Orleans when it was like the murder capital, mm-hmm. right? And he told me about situations. They went to Memphis and, you know, getting it in. And, you know, I'm like, all right, this is interesting. Uber is a very interesting platform. <laughs> yeah, because the driver going to tell you, you spill so you, the beans you, or yeah. the passenger going to spill you, you the ever, beans. You ever, you ever remember the show Taxi Cab Confessions? Yes. Yeah. That's how I felt like I was in that. Yeah. 
but on on the, on the like a real gangster side. Yeah, you yeah. Know what I'm saying, <laughs> but it re it just reinforced the fact that I knew what that was. Yeah, you know what I mean. And uh, this last time picked up older lady. She's uh, telling me about how she's teaching her friend how to uh, what time to pick up people on Uber because she just lost a job. Her friend lost a job, so she told she can get my hand do Uber. So mind you, this is probably the most uncomfortable Uber ride I was in. So. Her, she had like the short back F-150, but you really couldn't sit back there, so you had to sit in the front seat. Mm-hmm. So she's telling me, I was like, well, let's, we're talking. And I really just want to kind of get in the car and not really speak, to be totally honest with you. Yeah. Um, but they be feeling offended sometimes when we don't talk to them. Yeah. So I'm just being, you know, courteous. Um, and she's telling me about this guy, these guys got, the white guys got in the, in the car, and the guy was like, you know... Uh, he had his bucket list of uh, mm. of experiences, and she was like, "Oh, well, you made it to New Orleans," and he was like, "Nah, I'm, I want some chocolate." Oh shit! Where is this going? <laughs> Where is this going? <laughs> he said, he said bucket. I'm like, man, I know some freaking people out there. <laughs> so she said, "This guy pulls out a wad of money, and you know, his friend in the back seat," and she's like, you know. So he, he's propositioning her? Yeah, he's propositioning her. Right? And she's telling me the story, but I feel like she's propositioning me. Right? I'm like, why of all conversations would you bring this up with me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So in the midst of this, I'm thinking she's going to be like, oh, I was so offended. And what she tells him, she said, you shouldn't be doing that in New Orleans. You know you can get robbed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> So that was, yeah, that's, my, that's my Uber story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, concerts or festivals? Concerts. Best one you've attended? The best concert I've been to. Wow. So one, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you a couple. For the one of the best concerts I went to is at the House of Blues in New Orleans. It was Onyx. I don't know if any of y'all know who Onyx is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I know who Onyx is, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so Onyx, I mean, it was energetic. They was climbing up walls on top of speakers. It was probably one of the, like, real definitive uh, concerts I've How, seen. What, what year was this? Because this them, was them, about... Them brothers, them brothers can't, still had the same energy as they nah, did this back was, in no, this was, this was No, this was, this was about... 96, 97. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it was, it was definitely. Recent. I'm like, they can't have the same energy from. No, 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 no. This 25 was 25 years definitely, ago. Definitely. <laughs> that's how. That's how powerful that show was. Shit, that was 25 years ago. Um, we were all my stuff gonna be old, and yeah. then the Janet Jackson Velvet Robe tour. Okay. Uh, I think uh, they had an NSYNC. What, what was the group? Uh, uh, Justin Timberlake. Yeah, NSYNC. Yeah, so NSYNC was opening up for her. Did okay. they do the titty thing then too? What's that? The kitty? <laughs> no, like, she had the, the wardrobe the, uh, malfunction at the uh, nah, Super Bowl halftime. No, wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> this was, well, this that's, was, where that, that's where that term came from, from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was, like, no, this was uh, 98. This is back when they when NSYNC was still together. Uh, yeah, 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 before yeah, JT went, went solo. Yeah, they went both yeah. for that. Yeah. Okay. Nah, nah, nah. All right, best late night food anyway. Best late night food anyway. Man, there's a restaurant in Paris called Le Grand. Le Grand. They got some amazing, uh, yeah, that's, 
Some good late night food. Le Grand, when you're in, when you're in Paris, <laughs> they, got, they got you on the late night situation. <laughs> oh, Le Grand, and then they got a, a, a dessert at the Hotel Costas. It's the uh, cheesecake. It's amazing. Get the cheesecake at the Hotel Costas. <laughs> All right. Name your favorite decade and why. 90s. Okay, why? Uh, I mean, the 90s was... Was the was the was the foundation of the now? Uh, I mean the transition. Let me say that I don't, don't want to take away from the eighties. Eighties was a very digressive time, so the nineties I give it the credit because that's when we were becoming a little bit more conscious, mm -hmm. and music was more about community and the people. And but it kind of got rocky towards the end. So, but you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give it its due. I'll, I'll give I it think its that justice. That tends to happen at the end of each decade. It just gets a little. Shit just started just yeah. <laughs> falling yeah. off. It's like, what happened? Yeah. Um, all right, final question. What does living my best life mean to you? Living my best life is giving as much knowledge as I possibly can to the youth. Yeah. Okay. I like it. <laughs> I like it, man. Now nah, I like it. Now nah, I mean, written. that was that was something that you talked about when we first met. You know, just you know, your community involvement. And yeah. Um, but we have reached the end of the show finally, y'all. I know it's another long one, but there's a lot of great content on this yes. one, and y'all need to listen from beginning to end. Um, yes. Where can people find you? Um, You're a hard guy to find on the internet. By yeah, the way. yeah, you definitely are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's on purpose. I know. Yeah, I, I kind of figured. That's why I'm like, I'm glad we had that preliminary conversation. Cause yeah. I was like, I ain't got nothing to go on with about this brother, man. I mean, uh, why is that anyway? You can find my business. Well, um, yeah, www.regardingfresh.com. Cool. I, I ask the other question later. You usually this is you usually here when you're in town, right? Yeah, for the most part. Okay, so yeah. that's where you can find that's people can find you yeah. right here at Regarding Fresh. What is it? 223 North Peters? Yeah, 223 mm -hmm. North Peters, New Orleans, Louisiana. Right next to uh, Coyote, Coyote Ugly. Ugly. Yeah. And across from uh, Mississippi River. Steamboat Natchez, you can hear the, the steamboat signaling you and everything. Um, all right, man, well, that's all I got. You got anything, nice. anything else for the people? No, man, I, you know, I thank you guys for uh, allowing me to. To, to be a voice on your platform, man, and uh, hopefully you guys can walk away with some perspective or some uh, inspiration or, um, you know, create opportunity for yourself, man. Uh, community, we need to, to give back. And giving back doesn't mean we need to give money. Give knowledge, give support, give love, and, uh, you know, that's it, man. All right. Well... Until next week, y'all. Don't be a goofy. Don't be a goofy. <laughs> Don't be a goofy. Don't be a goofy. And make sure y'all tune in next week because we got another good one lined up for y'all. Peace. Peace.
All the Fly Kids show is recorded inside of Dope Siding, located in the bywater of New Orleans. Produced by Geronimo Nose and Robert J. And powered by Fairground Inc. Listen to the show on your favorite podcast app and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe. Pay it forward and let your people know we're here.